If you just said this, right? I have to check out Ireland then. Another 100 year candidate. I'd, I, I, <laughs> what you I'm said saying, that. what I'm saying is, I'd have to take out. Okay, I'll take out Conor Whelan then. Conor Whelan I, have to be. That's it. I quit. Subscribe to the GA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right. You're very welcome along. It's Tuesday morning. It's Jaron on with you all the way through until 10. As ever, we'd love to hear from you. The hashtag OTBAM on Twitter. Or, of course, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Or you can even text us. And uh, you know the text number by now. White seven nine one eighty one eighty. That's the WhatsApp number, isn't it? Yes. I've never checked our WhatsApps, actually. Uh, you should. Is there like a group chat that goes on that I'm not part of? Um, I mean, there's many of those on. <laughs> you know that. That's how life works, right? Yeah. yeah. Ever, ever decreasing circles. That's it. Yeah, ever decreasing circles of smaller WhatsApp groups of people talking about you behind your back. Pretty much. What life is. And then you die. Yeah. And on that chair, you know, that's the end of today's show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for <laughs> tuning in. Um, the, the sunniest day of the year yesterday, there's lots of pictures of people on beaches. Were you on Borough Beach yesterday? I was not on Borough Beach yesterday. That's a hidden gem that you advised me to go to last year. It is an excellent beach. Um, you kind of want to go there and buy one of the houses that overlooks Borough Beach. I mean, and if then you've re- got a spare nine million. If you've got a spare nine million and also a spare nine million put aside for like 20 years time when your house is underwater. Um, which With the way things are going, could it be the next eight weeks could it be before the next it's underwater? It's, uh, Correct. But uh, a gorgeous little part of the world, which I did not go to yesterday, though. So, um, yeah, the hottest day of the year and me are not a great combination, uh, naturally enough, for obvious reasons. So uh, I kind of stayed sit out of the sun until the evening time. I was in Yall. Oh yeah, it's um, not close. It's like three hours down and three hours back. We were filming a piece with Davy Russell for um, Friday Night Racing, which you'll see either this week or next week. And we couldn't have picked a better day. Like when you're on a farm on the day when it's sunny and everybody's happy, it's like this is the greatest lifestyle that anybody ever has anywhere in the world. And also, like I don't know if you know y'all, but it's like mad long beach and the town, and then their farm is literally in the town. It's like you know, a kilometre from the seafront and there's been kind of uh, development all around it. So it's got this really kind of unique setting in that you are living in town on a farm. And so there are these like beautiful two-year-old horses galloping around who have not been broken. And you're thinking, this is, I mean, this is like, there's nothing else in your life. You were considering not driving back up the road yesterday. I was like, if only I knew anything about anything. Like, (laughs) you know. As opposed to, you know... Jerk uh, Gilroy's local coffee shop now opening in Yall. Well, you need to live... The farm lifestyle is the thing, like, okay. where, you know, you're surrounded by these beautiful animals. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd recommend Yall was, like, really beautiful and not particularly busy compared to other places down the way. Mm. So, a nice part of the world. The, the um, Grey Cork propaganda this morning, uh, of course, which is which is always a good thing. I've never actually been down to Yall. So, it's like, would you say it's upmarket? No, 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 no I wouldn't. I'd say they're oh, your prices your, are okay. your, your kind of people. Own, my kind know? of people. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. My genuine. Kind of people, yeah, genuine. Yeah, G- genuine. Genuine. Uh, G I N. Um, well, that's good. When is the piece coming out? This week. This week, definitely. Uh, Column says I got caught in a shower yesterday afternoon around four o'clock. Anybody else? It was like sixty seconds in total. Mental afterwards. It was as if nothing had happened. Best sixty seconds of my life. Got caught in that as well. Absolutely fantastic. It's a lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, just a lovely cold shower in the middle of the day. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's totally fine. That's what everybody wants. A little bit of cooling down on a hot day. Yeah. You seem you seem to perturb their own. Are yeah. you all right? 
<laughs> I don't know. It was just a weird look there. I was like, what did I say something wrong? No, you didn't. You didn't. Uh, so um, your your annual pilgrimage to the counties involved in the All Ireland Finals. Uh, great stuff from Limerick last week, which obviously and and last year. Which you, now you know everybody in every club. So when they come on the next day, you're like, oh, I was blah 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 yeah, blah blah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Look at, that. look at him. Look at that insight. Look at him sleezing all over these Limerick hurlers. <laughs> I know you and your family and your family's family and everything about you and your club and all that history. So, somebody was listening to yesterday's ODB. Yeah, it was excellent. It was a really brilliant show. <laughs> apart from the lines keep dropping, but other than that, it was really good. Uh, and you're obviously going to do the same carry this week, except you're going to have to keep it at, at like a, at some kind of weird journalistic arm's length. How yeah. do you do that? I, I reckon that the carry thing is just going to be a, like a massive disappointment where um, I actually don't talk to anybody interesting. That's, no, I, I actually haven't got a carry planned at all yet. I don't know. Galway is like planned to a T. I am going there first, so that, that helps. So I know exactly what I'm doing in, in Galway. Uh, Kerry, I actually don't know yet. There's been a few people I've got in touch with who aren't around and also just the sheer size of the county. Like, how do you get an accurate representation of Kerry in the space of a few hours when that's kind of the time you have to go and record? Are you picking West Kerry? Are you picking South Kerry? Are you picking uh, the Kinmare area? Are you potentially venturing into North Kerry where Kerry's full back is from? Uh, there's many, many uh, opportunities. Uh, whereas, uh, as Galway people would tell you, there's a, a bit of a divide in their county where it, it at least narrows it down somewhat. Uh, that's not the case at home. And... Um, yeah, so but the pressure's on, I think. To so, well, I was going to say the Kerry equivalent of the Cranberries is Michael Fassbender. Yes, actually, we should get him on. Good point. He's more into his rallying than his football. But I think that could be an interesting chat. Um, Michael Fassbender and his love of of cars. I'm not sure is he in the country at the moment, but um, if you're listening, Michael, you know where to find me. Send the message out. Send your little your little sparrows out. Yeah, it, like if it could. I anybody. mean, I say your little sparrows. I mean the Kerry Mafia WhatsApp group. Yes, exactly. I could I could just message them rather than putting out a message through the show, obviously. But uh, I I don't know. I mean, it would, it would be great to get him on. Is he the Kerry version of of um, who Harris? else? Yeah. Who else has reached the global? I mean, obviously the Kerry group, but like you know, how about that butter, lads? That's good butter. That's some <laughs> that's some good animal feed that you've uh, developed there. I love I love your work. You could just recreate the old Kerry gold ad where an inch is a mile. Daryl Canada in, in in it. That was a, a top class ad. Not sure. Was there any other celebrities in that ad? I don't think that was for Kerry Gold, was it? Oh, uh, was it not? It was for the the knockoff, wasn't it? Which is I don't know. The it's not a knockoff, but the rival. Made. The rival wasn't it for the rival? I don't know. I think it was. You were asking me about a time. The then. Kerry Gold ads were all like sex in France. That's what that was all about. I could ju- I could just meet one of the people who are having sex in France to talk about Kerry Gold. No one was actually having sex. It was hinted at because oh, it was sorry. Ireland. Oh, it was Ireland in the 2000s. Yeah, well, yes. in the late, uh, the 90s. Okay. And uh, all all babies were all born by, uh, what's the the miracle? What's the... Immaculate conception? Exactly, exactly, yeah. 7.37 this morning. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. More of this top quality stuff. There. <laughs> 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 Derek McNamara is going to join us at 10 past 8 for some rugby analysis. We've got sports pages with John Dolan. Certainly how David Clifford was born. 8.35. Sports news at 8.40. Uh, David Herity at 10 past 9 is going to talk to us about the Kilkenny side of things. Mike McCarthy is going to be looking at the second rows and the rest of the, the pack in particular from Ireland and their trip to New Zealand. And then more hurling reaction from yesterday at half past 9. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Uh, Kenny the Dad says, I'm looking forward to day two of the near-death heat in London today. Ger, are we still miles away in the rugby? I mean, we were two weeks ago, now we're not, it turns out. Do we deserve to be world number one? No, I don't think so. I think France France beat us in the last game that we played. France are the best team in the world. 
they played Japan, we played New Zealand, you get more points for beating New Zealand than you get for beating Japan. Do you know? So what about South Africa? Are South Africa better than Ireland? Yes, you would say. And will New Zealand be better than Ireland in 15 months? I don't know. It depends on their coaching ticket, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, that will... There was a, you, you'll have to say that South Africa at home have a significant chance of beating New Zealand. Twice. Twice, which would have a significant impact on whether or not Ian Foster is going to be And also, coach. like, what if, what if we got them at this time where they're collapsing and then everybody beats them now? Like, what if... Does that diminish the standing... Diminish the, about the, the achievement. The, the achievement on Saturday, it maybe does a little bit in terms of how you analyse it and how important, how much importance you place on the result in the wider context of Ireland standing in the world. I don't think it diminishes the achievement though in a in a historical context and you know decades and decades of the All Blacks being the All Blacks and Ireland struggling to ever get one over them and teams in general struggling to win a single test in New Zealand. So I think in the historical context, I think that's solid and that that's always going to stand the test of time. It's just how important is it going to be in, in 15 months and I'm, I'm I was very, very reluctant to kind of think that way since Saturday because in its own right, it's a brilliant achievement and also it's the end of the season. And of course, we do it with every single sport. After Limerick win on Sunday, we're like, can they win next year? After well, Manchester City bottle at the Champions League, can they win the Champions League next well, year? It, really interesting, right? The, the Limerick thing was really, really interesting to listen to the lads coming on giving out to you guys and the fans the night before talking to them, oh, come on, we've just won it. John Kiley immediately was like, look, None of those lads are retiring. There's four in a row. There's yeah. like, you know, straight away, he was like, we're, we're at it now. We're, we're in the middle of this. This is not the end. And it doesn't feel like it's the end at all. It does not. And the players might be like, give us a break. But they don't really think that. I don't think. I think they're thinking, yes. But I'm not going to tell anybody that. Yeah. Uh, John Kiley's like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. There's, there's history right here for these guys. I think, John, yeah. And like John Kiley did say yesterday, I think that he's just happy to not have that conversation right now. But one of the reasons why he's happy to not have that conversation right now is because like he's that that gets him into manager speak again and that gets him into thinking about next year and he doesn't want anything to come back and bite him if he does say anything they're in a phenomenal position like he'll be quietly delighted with the manner of the All-Ireland win all All-Ireland wins are sweet but the manner of the players that weren't on the pitch in particular the players that were maybe out of form or weren't fully fit as the, the season went on how they did it this year and that performance in the final quietly he'll be thinking this thing is absolutely on he said Kyle Hayes got injured in the last training session as well yeah like Friday he was saying yeah so yeah like the, the line did drop yesterday before he found out who got injured who injured Keen Lynch yesterday unfortunately and I just forgot to ask the question again which is uh, bad journalism but uh, the fact that it happened so um, he so might have just gone over on his ankle yeah that's also a possibility yeah um, he's, uh, he's out for three months is what it's reported in the papers it's ligaments down around the fibula and the tibia ligaments that connect to the ankle all those ligaments are kind of gone he explained and then he said something else about something else popping inside as well so that was the rumour had been a burst blood vessel um, but obviously that that makes it worse as well so he's out for the rest of the, the club season um, I, well depends obviously on how long they go on you'd have to expect that they, they could go deep and maybe that's one of the things maybe a Limerick club winning the All-Ireland this year I don't know if any impact. it doesn't have any impact with the way the season is structured now so it, it should actually work out very well for all of them yeah. Oh, there's an airplane landing. Is that coming through? It is coming through, yeah. Is there, a, is there a gigantic drilling sound coming into your ears this morning? We apologise uh, for that. Uh, Daisha Dude says, Kerry Gold is not just Kerry. Kerry Gold was made in Dungarvan for years. It was made all over the country. Ah, Disagree, disagree with that. I mean, it says it on the name. Well, I, I mean, they don't call it, you know, Dungarvan Gold. Exactly. 
exactly and that I think refutes your point pretty substantially uh, Owen is clearly reluctant to expose the Yera elders says Niall uh, we'll get some of the Yera elders won't we who are the, as in oh on the fact finding mission who is, who is Yera elder number one though because you, you don't know do you they're nameless faceless people well it's like um, L. Ron Hubbard right yeah the the original Kerry elders like dead 600 years yeah and, and it's just been passed down so the, you need the, the modern day equivalent of Tom Cruise basically that's it and I, I, who's the high thetan of uh, the whole point is that they've always kept a low profile and have never been well known so it's very very hard to track down somebody you don't even know uh, but how are you feeling um, listening to I only got around to listen to the football pod yesterday from uh, Kill McCord last week you'd definitely be feeling and I think James Dunn who actually did comment on this at the end you'd f- be feeling a little bit more nervous after listening to that there's a serious amount of belief around Galway isn't there at, that they can win this game at the weekend and I think it'd be stupid to think that they can't win it given what they've done all year and Poirier Joyce has made the point that they've been outsiders in the bookies' minds in every game bar the Leitrim game I think they might have been favourites for the Ross Common game to be fair as well but by and large his point is a sound one that people have written off Galway all year and they have disproved the people who've written them off all year as well and they've got better and the performances have got better and their semi-final performance was the best performance they've put in all year so they've peaked at the perfect time so if you're asking me how I'm feeling I'm feeling nervous How good was their semi-final performance because you know at half time they needed a Hawkeye decision to go their way twice mm-hmm. for them to be level and they coughed up a lot of chances that Derry had snatched at as opposed to, you know, being calm and, and taking. Like, if if Kerry had played Galway in that first half and Galway had been as bad as that in the first half, I think that Kerry would have been 1-7 to 3 points up. Uh, maybe 7-3. I don't think 1-7-3. I don't think they gave up a goal chance in that first half. And I think the fact that they were mediocre in the first half actually makes it all the more impressive with how good they were in the second half because the stakes had risen. I don't think that the Shane Walsh um, situation necessarily makes all that much of a difference. They go in down a point. I know they it, it gives them a little boost, of course, being, being level pegging and all that at the start of the second half. But the fact that they managed to regroup and not panic after a pretty mediocre first half I think is is just even more impressive and they just kept plugging away at their game plan and it eventually wore Derry down Their fear must be that they're just mediocre that they're the Galway team who were flaky in the league final and flaky against Roscommon and flaky in the last 10 minutes against Armagh and you know not great in the first half against Derry like they haven't got a body of work of being excellent over 70 minutes that we can rely on and go okay we, we can see them putting together a 70 minute performance because they haven't done that yet No but then again their opponents haven't either and they'll get huge hope from the fact that it was it's a 35 minute team they came up against uh, that, that they are coming up against certainly when you look at uh, the evidence of the last two games that Kerry have played in Crow Park it's been ha- half a performance the second half against Mayo was good the first half against Dublin was good Yes, there was a bit of grit and there's a huge amount of talent in the team that allows them to, to come through. But I think that if you're going to well, use that argument against Galway, you've also got to be using it against their opponents. I just think that Kerry have played a significantly higher level of opponent in Dublin. They've played the second best team in the country and they've managed to touch them off while also they really should have killed them because score the penalty, it's game over. There's no way Dublin are coming back from that. They might... They might you know, but you're just holding them off, and it's it's a it's a really boring possession-based game for 45 minutes because you have a 10-point lead, and um, I, I think that that's what could happen here. I, I like I think there's going to be a couple of early goals for Kerry, and this has the the bang of a Mayo 
final in the, uh, in the noughties? It's it's, it's, there's absolutely zero chance it's going to be like a Mayo final in the noughties uh, because of how Galway set up. And I don't think you can get to an All-Ireland final in the modern era by being a Mayo of the noughties. Like they were a swash, swashbuckling team who managed to just be better than Dublin, Tyrone on a number of afternoons where they produce a classic. Like that is not what this Galway team is. That, that is not what an All-Ireland finalist is in the modern era. And they will not cough up early goals. I think they proved against Derry. Like their, their entire plan against Derry defensively, and I don't, they don't get enough credit for it because Derry were the defensive masters that day going into the game. Their plan was to stop Derry getting their early goals because that was how they killed off teams. That's how Kerry liked to kill off a team. And if they could do it against Derry, I think they can do it against Kerry on that front. It's but just kind it's of... Not like, it's not like Derry have forwards, though, the way that Kerry do. That's the thing. It's like So that's grand, right, up to now. This is a significant step up in terms of... Threat that Kerry face. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I can't. Yeah, it is a better if we say set of forwards. There's no question about now, that. I do. I do want to give. Um, well, that's yesterday's. I do want to give Port Joyce uh, significant credit, right? Because he's saying that um, he's asked about his relationship with Keane O'Neill. Mm. Um, there's an improved defensive shape and solidity that has emanated from the decision during the off season to enlist the services of former Kerry coach Keane O'Neill. Yeah, it is, replies Joyce when asked if the phone call to the former Kildare manager was the most important he's made during his three seasons at the helm. And then he goes on to say, as long as, as well as the other phone calls that I made about S&C and Bernard Dunn, I didn't realise as well, is their performance coach. The three of them have come in this year and have done really good. I didn't think Joyce was going to be as good a manager as he is. And the reason he's, he's become a great manager this year is that he has listened to outside help and he has sought the best available to him. I, I you know, there's a lot of people retrospectively going, it was great of him to come out and say that we were going to win the All-Ireland. But like, that wasn't, that wasn't great because it didn't look like they were capable of doing it. What's great is actually being humble enough to go, we've got this wrong or we need to inject something different to get to the next level. And I would say that's what gives Galway people hope that he's learned massively over the two years and uh, and he's really progressed to a point now where it's like, okay, I, I'm not the be-all and end-all of this. This is going to be a, a collective... You look at Limerick, John Kiley's like, you know, I, I don't do the sessions. Paul Connert does the sessions. The S&C is amazing. The medical team are great. And sorry, he said that he went down there to say... Uh, are Keane and I boozing buddies? Probably not. We get on well together. I respect his decisions. We have had loads of rows, don't get me wrong. That's part and parcel of it. That's why we got him in, to get that little bit of experience we were lacking as a group and that I was lacking probably, but he's been exceptional for us, as have Jonathan and Bernard. Yeah, like I can't imagine having Keane Lynch as your number two is a straightforward thing to do. Like if you want to stay comfortable in what you're doing as a manager, you don't bring Keane O'Neill in. Like we've seen him have rows on, on the sideline with Emma Fitzmaurice in the past and his ability to challenge the manager is probably what makes him such a great member of a backroom team. And maybe that's what he needed more of when he was manager of Kildare. Maybe he needed another okay, Keane O'Neill to go, yeah. to, to go at him on the sideline a bit more. And that's what probably makes their, their group such, um, I, don't, I don't know, so ripe for growth, if you want to use that phrase. Like, And when they tell the story of Park Joyce, if they win on Sunday, the tendency will be to go back to that Galway Bay FM interview and say, he said they were going to win the, inter- the All-Ireland and he did it. Yeah. Actually, no, there was a huge set- setbacks and the story is far less linear than that. And it, it's actually the opposite of that. He was going to win it with swashbuckling football that he played in the uh, 98-01 season, right? But actually, what's happened is, in the middle of it, he's had a road to Damascus conversion and got a lot of people in and got the best of what was there previously and brought their own stuff to it, which is, I think, the best part. And, and actually, is testimony to him and the lack of ego 
that you need to have when you, you're on course or something and you go, we're wrong here, lads. How do we how do we fix this? And you get people in who are from the outside and you go, you tell us what you think we need to do. That, yeah. That's really, really encouraging. What I'm interested in as well is when that sort of eureka moment actually hit. Like, you would imagine it was before the season started, but sitting in Crow Park watching that Division 2 final this year, there was no evidence that that road to Damascus conversion was actually going to lead them to this Sunday. And I'm... I'd be very confident now in saying that that was just because they had Mayo in a few weeks. Well, Mike that was, said that. that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, that's probably the reality of what happened there. But certainly on, on that occasion, they, well, I guess they were just smart. They, they showed literally nothing. And maybe like Mayo were in action that afternoon as well and showed nothing. And as it turned out, I mean, that was probably close enough to what they were going to show in the championship. So you can read into what you see sometimes, especially when you get an opportunity to play in Crow Park. But this is a different Galway. And, and that is what kind of makes you more nervous as, uh, as a Kerry fan is that this... Um, ascension to this level has happened very recently. This isn't like it's. It, it, I know they got uh, promoted from Division Two, but it's not like we saw this like nakedly in front of us during the league. This feels like a, a summertime story, and you just don't know where it's going to end up for them. No, but whatever they have, Paddy Tally is the equivalent. Of course, of, um, uh, that whole story we've just been talking about from a Kerry, from a Galway perspective, he's the Keen O'Neill figure the road to Damascus conversion and so and they also have the best forward in the country who has two weeks further fitness into him and I don't know Clifford scoring 12 points that's the figure isn't it Morris Fitz scored 12 Darrell Canage scored 12 not right in all the finals yeah but like I mean uh, Sean Shea would probably be more likely to get to the 12 wouldn't he because of the freeze. freeze and the 45s but um, like maybe there'll be a penalty that uh, he's uh, this time I'm just going to not against you not against it. I'm taking this. It's uh, O'Shea versus Sean Walsh, actually. Shane Walsh as uh, the top scorer as well this weekend. They both are in within reaching distance of uh, winning the GA's Golden Boot. Not that that's an award or anything. They should have one, right? They should. Two, two individual. Yeah, you can't be doing that. Uh, Shifty Lads says, Imagine farm life in February. In reality, I'm with you though, Jarrah. Small holding and be self-sufficient would do me. Happy Tuesday. And Shane says, This Sunday's game will resemble the 2014 final. Two teams playing cautiously, mirroring each other. I was looking at this the other day. Um, Kerry were actually outsiders for that 2014 final. So, like, that was a, 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 on the, the odds. And they really did a job on, on Donegal that day because I, I just had it in my head that maybe they were favourites and they were just about holding their nerve. But no, beating Dublin really had Donegal installed as favourites. And as we said last week in the show, the last three times that Dublin have been beaten, the team that have taken them out in the semi final ended up losing the final. So, that, that is just another factor that would make you a little bit nervous, that who high had, of Dublin. Who had Kerry beaten in the semi that year? That was Limerick, Mayo. Mayo in Limerick. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. All right. So there was a bit of a high off that, I presume. It should have been, yeah. yeah. Uh, John Claffey says, anyone else nearly die in the hill from the heat on Sunday? It did look very hot. Wouldn't have liked to have been there, no. I can only imagine what the 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 pinkness was like in the aftermath. Uh, Shifty Lad says, is it bad or is it just me that only one week after hurling the Gaelic is on? No time to embrace either this week. Um, yeah, the, 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 the position of the hurling championship and the speed at which it's been played off was obviously a focus of Donald O'Cusick on the Sunday game. A lot of debate about this. Uh, some people saying, yeah, it's great that he's representing the hurling folk and then loads of other people finding reason to have find fault in it. I, I could disagree with most of the reason to find fault in it. I thought it was really interesting that he was critical of the scheduling of the All-Ireland hurling quarterfinal. Was it played at half one on a Saturday? Was that what he said? Yeah. This was because the URC final, the rugby, was on that day and RT are committed to broadcasting that as part of their rights deal. They've obviously partnered up with the... Uh, uh, is it the URC? 
the Ultimate Rugby Championship, is it? It is yours. Yeah. And nice. um, United Rugby Championship, yeah. Yes. It, it's going to take off, definitely will. And um, they're like, they have a streaming or operation with URC and so therefore they must have been committed to it. I don't know why they couldn't have just stuck it on news now because it was two South African teams that, you know, you normally you see figures tweeted out about the viewership figures for like whatever sport they put on. But I didn't see the tweet with those figures telling us how many people tuned in on a Saturday afternoon to watch two South African teams play on an Irish TV station. Mm. Yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? Like uh, the taxpayers' money being spent on this and it's like, no, we've got to fix the All-Ireland Hurling quarterfinal, otherwise it won't be on TV. You could have given it to Sky, you know? I mean, that would have been a separate issue that people would have had um, problems with, even though it's like cost a tenner now to get whatever you want on Now TV. But I don't know, it just, it felt, it was interesting that they didn't delve into that a little bit further in the Sunday game. Yeah, like, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. I do think that there's going to be, like, a little bit of time here where we pr- probably won't get, like, a full conclusion to this answer until the end of the club season. And we kind of see what the cost benefit is and will the club season be more vibrant than ever and, and all that. I'm not sure it will. Like, we, we, will they make use of, will every county be making use of the, the early start time to, for their championships in their county? Like, I guess, like, only only time will tell on, on that front. Like, the it, it does feel all right that, that we are going quickly from, from final to final here this week in particular and there isn't kind of, there wasn't much kind of lead in time to the hurling final which you might have wanted. And I do think that Don Logue does have a point around Replays, just uh, I think maybe a replay and then a penalty shoot that might be the way to decide these games, certainly when it comes to provincial finals and All-Ireland semis and, and finals and maybe the quarters as well. Other than that, like it's been fairly full throttle and it's been enjoyable, hasn't it? Like the fair that we've got in both codes has been really good. Like the month of August being idle from a sports media standpoint isn't ideal, but like we're just only one stakeholder in the whole thing. Like that's where Don Logan's talking from as well is that he's talking as a member of the media like I, I know obviously he's a great hurling man and he he, he has huge experience at, at inter-county and club level but he is also speaking as part of being a Sunday game pundit and like we are just one tiny section of a massive conversation here around uh, who actually needs to, to benefit from this Well there was loads of people saying oh the club players ought to be delighted about this because that's going to fix everything for us and we're going to have games in, in good sunshine and, and we'll be able to go on our holidays so we'll, we'll see It was interesting that they didn't actually put up the figure for the attendance at the game either They just full said house. Full house So is the full house no longer 82,000? It's just interesting that like the previous week they put up a figure for the Dublin Kerry game which was 74 something was it? Yeah 74, 76 or something I don't know. And um, I don't know was that a full house? No, I've, I don't know I've seen, I've seen them put up full house before in Crow Park. But they always had the number underneath it didn't they? Maybe they did. 82,013 or whatever. It was always like a yeah uh, I'm not sure. So I you, thought they always. So you, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You think you think that they? Um, I don't know. Is, is is the capacity no longer eighty two thousand? I'm not sure. Maybe like um, it, it was very easy to get a ticket for Sunday. Is the other thing. Is like, it as easy to get tickets for this Sunday? I don't think so. Not yet. Anyway, it might loosen up a little bit as the week goes on. But I think the demand is is pretty high. Not as high as if Dublin or Mayo were in it, but still high. Yeah, but although Dublin didn't sell out Croker unless they did for the semi-finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's that somebody said was the lowest attendance for a Dublin carry match for 20 years. Like, I, I guess this all feeds into the split season too, the notion that um, people are on holidays and they're missing stuff and you're coming back from holidays. It, like, whatever about being able to access the games through GA Go, it's not the same when you're on holidays and the stuff is happening back at home um, and you're not entirely 
au fait with it. The other thing is that it is obviously competing with everything else that's on in the world. Like, it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened if this was a World Cup summer. Like, it should have been. So the World Cup final should have been last week or the week before. Yeah. It's possible that they would have had the All-Ireland hurling final up against a World Cup final. Or Kerry Dublin up against a World Cup final. Probably, yeah. Um, so I guess you have to move that then. And then it's a... F- well, was the World Cup final was a four or has it moved... So anyway, it's not going to be an issue. Well, it will be an issue, obviously, for the Euros if Ireland qualify. They will be going up against them too. Yeah. So I don't know. Like it, I, it, it does feel that that August will feel a little bit dead. But at the same time, is that not worth it if the club season is revitalised and the club players, the ninety five percent of the players around the, the country, have a far more positive experience with the GEA, far. Uh, less, I don't know, just less grim experience with with, with Gaelic games. Like, is is that not what the whole point was? The whole the whole point that they moved it was not to try and gain exposure, and they suddenly uh, shot themselves in the foot. The whole point was that it was to make the club season a better season. I just really think that if the club season came first, it would make more sense for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, but obviously, then you're playing your All Irelands in October, November. October, the end of October is fine. Yeah. Like I'm, I wouldn't be against that either. Just like I'm not against seeing how this plays out and and seeing what what, what we're looking at at the end of of the year. Like I I do personally like the long lead into um, an All Ireland final and maybe even the semi finals as well. But like, is that also kind of like an elite mindset that we're like? It's only now that we're properly having this conversation where we're like, you know what? It's it's Limerick and Kilkenny and Kerry and Galway that need all this time and attention and weeks off and. Uh, column inches uh, dedicated towards it and uh, you know what whatever happens early in the season they can play week, week to week to week to week Michael Meehan's point though about the the schools being full of bunting and excitement if the Ireland's in September slash October that's a very important you know visibility is hugely important when it comes to soaking people into wanting to do this thing and um, you, you don't know what the long term repercussions of this are like yeah, yeah, may- maybe. Like, it's very, very hard to quantify that argument as well. Like, there, if, if you are part of the winning team and you're in school, Sam Maguire will come to your school. Yeah. Like, so it, it, it's, it's, it's just the losing county in the final that we're talking about here. Two counties in Ireland whose school children are going to be lost to the GEA forever because they couldn't put up, um, they couldn't make good luck cards. Like, I, I see, it's nice. We all have those great memories um, of, of those All-Ireland weeks. Like... I, I just want to see this play out. I really, I really just want to see this play out and and see at the end of the year, are we actually? Is the feedback from clubs that actually it's made no difference? And I should say, if it's made no difference or minimal difference, then of course you push the All Irelands back a month. Um, but if you if there are real positive steps towards a, a, a better club experience for the club hurler and footballer, then. I think that's a pretty compelling case to keep it close to the way it is. Patrick Coleman says the hurling final was two weeks too early and there should be two weeks between the hurling and the football final. Maybe maybe that's all the only tweak is. That maybe it's just a few back. weeks. Just a few weeks could make it make a bit of a difference, yeah. Uh, okay, so obviously um, we didn't talk about the golf just yet. We might chat about that a little bit later uh, through the sports pages. David Faraday has taken the cash. He's signing up with Live Golf, uh, American golf commentator David Faraday. Yeah, we've got David Herity on later. Not yeah. David Faraday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Donald Trump says they should take the money and the golfers should take the money and join up with the Saudis. If only his uh, golf course was hosting a PGA event rather than a live event. It's um, it's interesting, isn't it? That uh, that's, that's, you know, I wonder, I wonder, is there a source of, or is there an opportunity, is there a hustle for Donald Trump to take some cash? 
much cash? How much cash to get him to support this? So you're now on the side of Donald Trump when you sign up for Live as well. You've decided that. Um, it's like I, I would have thought that the 9-11 argument would have been one that would have been quite persuasive to someone like Donald Trump, but maybe he's not a, a true American. Like um, there's also talk that uh, Charles Barkley could be going to Live. Oh yeah, have you heard this? No, as a as a pundit, uh, I'm pretty it's sure. Is that the worst golf swing of all time? Is that not the uh, thing about Charles Barkley? He's like literally he 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 did lose like a golf bet to Aaron Rodgers recently. Didn't he at a, at a celebrity golf event? But um, like just as a, as a as another personality. So I mean, maybe it's like a, a Donald Trump in apprentice mode, who's also kind of bought into the uh, to the live event, and and that's just what they're going for. Preferity is a big big draw. Well liked in the states, he's probably more liked in the states than he is over here. I feel he'd retired though largely hadn't he hadn't, hadn't he largely finished up he, w- he wasn't on week to week broadcast anymore as far okay. as I know okay he still needed to to quit his current job obviously I, I hadn't realised that he wasn't on week to week but I, I'm sorry I, I'm out of the David Faraday uh, career loop so Charles Barkley oh yeah this is Charles Barkley's swing um, for those of you who are listening on radio it is like oh wow it's one of the worst things it, it went viral in 2008 when it was pretty difficult to go viral unless you were the boom goes the dynamite <laughs> kid and um, so yeah he's, he's changed now it's got, it's got much better apparently um, but yeah so that I mean is he going to be the thing that draws what's going to happen here is obviously there's going to be enough money that everybody's going to decide they're going to make peace hmm because that's the only way that it continues and they'll have their 8 or 10 live golf events and then there'll be 8 or 10 PGA Tour events and there'll be 3 big European Tour events and that's it unless of course live are uh, as ruthless and as scary MFers as their uh, owners really are and their entire intention is actually to destroy the current power base in golf they will not stop at the idea of having uh, an entertaining golf field with entertaining pundits and good figures they actually want to destroy the PGA Tour and maybe their, their move to, to get Henrik Stenson the other day is indications of that like why do you want Henrik Stenson on your tour like is it not just to destroy the Ryder Cup pretty much well, it's it's not to it's to like so we will destroy the Ryder Cup unless you do this for us unless you like fix this and sure just take our money for the Ryder Cup. Like the, the money will fix everything. Money yeah. cures everything. Ryder Cup played in Saudi Arabia. I mean, yeah. It doesn't like it, or or, or at a Saudi Arabian owned golf course. Do you know, like yeah. that's also what could happen here. Uh, Adrian Kelly says the thing with hurling is there's only nine teams and they're playing each other since January how long more do they want to play into the year um, well I mean you know the whole notion of leagues anyway look. yeah John Colley was saying that he feels uh, a bit sorry that the leagues are being devalued in hurling like and it's it's kind of hard to, to see how you actually add value to it in, in over the course as you say of, of like six seven months you can't yeah it's hard and like, I think that's a really good point like the intercounty season is long as it is like it's not like it's it's a it's a short season it's just the championship feels short uh, River Wolf says there's too much GA on the TV it's making people fed up for an amateur game it's on way too much one thing I would say is that when they bring the LGFA and Camogie Association into the tent they should try and push those out into August if possible because they've really got swallowed up by everything over the, the last few weeks it, it felt like the, the football semi-finals were okay because they had their own day on Saturday but it felt like the previous week when the dubs got knocked out just like such a non-event maybe because I was like so dialed in to carry Dublin or something but it, it felt even in the national consciousness that was like well, it's a massive story it's the end of a huge it's the end story. Of a team that was like four in a row uh, or three in a row and um, it, it just disappeared yeah it did and I think that maybe pushing them out to a different month could be 
really positive for them if the GA decide to continue with this. Do the opposite split season for them? Yeah. Now, like, and uh, any of the players who are going to Australia, I think maybe you just have to give up on the Australian players at this stage. Uh, all right, five. Uh, if you want to get in touch, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. A reminder: OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, a couple of other stories we'll get to a little bit later on in the show. But uh, up next, we're talking rugby. Derek McNamara, who uh, has been a, a hit over the course of the uh, trip to New Zealand, uh, is outside and ready to go. A reminder, of course, that uh, Braeburn Coffee is now the official coffee partner to OTB. Every week we're giving one lucky winner, uh, one lucky viewer, a hundred euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. To enter, just check out at Off the Ball on Twitter. Like and retweet our Braeburn competition post and you're in the draw. Owen has both the Braeburn coffee mugs over on his side of the desk, so I can't even can't even demonstrate it for you yet. Oh, Johnny two mugs. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Braeburn Coffee is Apple Green's new premium coffee brand that offers customers the best coffee experience on the road. It's available now at 30 locations nationwide. As I said, up next, Derek McNamara, Sports Asset Management for the numbers behind Ireland's historic series victory. First, here's Keith Wood chatting about Ireland's massive win. Back after these. We shouldn't fear anyone and we shouldn't fear ourselves either because ourselves being the not great performance in the first match, we shouldn't fear that we're able to turn that around. Um, And that's one of the things I really liked was the structure of this tour was so bloody awkward, horrible and hard that um, it mirrors what a World Cup is like. Mm. So, um, yeah, I take an awful lot from it and I do think a lot is different because of that. Does it annoy you when, like what Matt alluded to there, with people saying that we've we've peaked too early, we've been here before, and similarly people trying to underplay, you know, the sense of of of, of winning matches. Maybe people who aren't necessarily rugby fans, but there's a sense among drives a certain me. cohort of people that they yeah. don't want to give this its due. You know, that kind it of drives, it drives me it drives me absolutely mad. I've heard people saying that there are only friendly matches, which just gives a, a fairly high lack of understanding of what touring and rugby has been and what it has been for over 100 years. Um, uh, the magnitude of what's been done is pretty extraordinary, like truly extraordinary. And it is for a moment in time. And uh, my sons were, 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 were asking me at, at the final whistle as to, you know, why was I is so excited? I said, because it's history. And watching history unfold in front of you is pretty phenomenal. Um, especially when it's going your way. And um, so I think the players have to park. They have to enjoy it. Of course they do. They have to enjoy it. They have to enjoy it out there. They have to enjoy it when they come home. They have to have a proper break when they come back in again. It has put a huge target on their back. And I would hope that this particular group will relish the target and say, that's fine. We've put our, our hands up. We've done what we wanted to do. Like, what was the alternative to not play as well as they can play and lose it so that they wouldn't do it, you know, so that they wouldn't peak within World Cups? Well, who's to say it's the peak? We just know it's the highest level that we're at at the moment. But who's to say that that's the, the Everest of this group? So um, I just think it leads open to, to a fantastic 12 months ahead, definitely with expectation. But as Matt said, again, and it's nice to kind of hear it coming from, from another perspective, there's still going to be an expectation of ups and downs because rugby is awkward. Difficult game can uh, hinge entirely. OTB AM.
This is OTB Sports Radio. Not the ball's the best. Number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Nathan, you know Big Joe. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. <laughs> we know it. So Every it single me. time. Yes. Yes. It's tough going. It's it's tough for my ego. I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. Love it, love it. This is OTB Sports Radio. Download the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, Jack McNamara of Sports Asset Management is with us to talk to us about the third test. It's good to be having these conversations after a victory and history as opposed to uh, pummeling. Yeah, because that's what we thought at the start, right? We were a bit, uh, a bit concerned about how it was going to go, but here we are. Owen was always glass half full, in fairness to him. He is, he is a C th- when it comes to this. Yeah, I can predict the future. Yeah, I think we were in this kind of same boat, Owen, I think, the two of us. Yeah. We've just been brought down by a man. Absolutely, you know? the misery. <laughs> Maybe you'll be right in the end. Maybe you'll be kind of like no, drinking Irish just, tears next it. November. Is that your plan? No, November doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. yeah, we can play a B team in the three games in November. Sorry, I meant November twenty twenty three. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the boat bear is officially poached. Anyway, <laughs> or broken, <laughs> or broken. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's we're going to look into that in a little bit more detail now. Um, but I was thinking we might look into a couple of different areas: refereeing yeah. first, yeah, uh, if that's okay. And then we might look into New Zealand, and then we might get onto our favourite discussion, which is Jonathan Sexton. Yeah, okay. That's all right. <laughs> so the refereeing uh, overall, the the minutes on the pitch figure is really interesting because like it's a I'm like oh it's a an 85, 87, it's a hundred and one minute game. It turns out. Yeah, so th- this is something that I, I started looking at in the uh, Lions tour, actually, which was just, you know, frustrating looking at um, how long the players are on the pitch for. It's the kind of one thing that the, the referees have the biggest impact on, and it's something that's not really being looked at. Um, and what that is, is we take the, when the players go onto the pitch and the first ball is kicked off, and we then we stop the clock once it goes to half time, and then we take from the second half is kicked off to the end, and we basically say, okay, how long was that? And the reason why that's important is because anything longer than, say, 100 minutes, <clears throat> it's an extra 20 minutes that those players are on the pitch, not necessarily that important for, for strength and conditioning and the way in which players play, but it's more, while that time could be spent for advertising or it could be used for analysts talking about the game at half time, that's where that time has been taken away. So that's that's money, that's income, that's revenue for, for rugby, which is being kind of ignored or at least... Um, being let go by referees taking their time in the game but in this game last weekend against Ireland New Zealand the third test it was you know you got you to hold your hand up and say well done to the lads that were uh, refereeing um, you know they, they caught the, the, the uh, Sam Kane tackle off the ball early on they got the Rico Riani offside at the 25 minutes um, and they got a number of like you know very accurate uh, decisions that were actually infringements in the game but they, they let the game play for a little while while the re- video referee went back and actually checked whether, whether or not they were infringements or not and it's like, it's very 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 hard to do but you know the, the first test like the first game was 101 minutes the, the team were on the or the players were on the pitch the second game was 109 minutes and then the third game was 99 very huge differences like 10 minutes in one game it's like 10% yeah. extra time yeah, already like we're, over a game that's supposed to be eighty minutes. Yeah, well, we're we're going to be here for twenty minutes. It's half the time that would be taken away from 
Keith Wood or Brian O'Driscoll or whoever it is that's going to be on that's, that's, that's valuable to them it's valuable to the to sport I would know? also say that some teams will want games to be 109 minutes like South Africa in the second test last year oh no this is a different stat so the, the, this, what we're looking at we, we split the game into. there's obviously three or four different ways of looking at it the first one this one is just minutes on pitch yeah but I think some teams want that I think I think South Africa mm. want a scrappy long boring game to like drag you into the deep yeah. water and then when you're not paying attention poke you in the eye yeah no they, but watch what I say here um, no South Africa are a great team <laughs> <laughs> they, they wouldn't have anything bad to say about South Africa at all um, no look they, they there's there's a specific a significant difference this is basically identifying time where the referee calls stop to the play and those stoppages are due to substitutions, due to injuries, or due to TMOs. So this this indicates or a scrum collapsing and the referee losing control. Of no, those. because the, the 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 usually when a scrum collapses, the referee will continue the, the time playing. So there's there's this time which is the minutes that they're on pitch, and there's the actual minutes of the game which is eighty minutes, and then there's minutes where the actual ball is in play, which is. I, think, I don't know I'm here I think it's around 30 to 35 for each of these games okay so there's a, there's a specific difference between those and we, we calculate all three of them so this this is just a representation of what the referee are doing and their their impact on the game and stylistically what they're what they like to do is to let the uh, decision be made upstairs and call them back yeah. as opposed yeah, to yeah. trying to and so re- recurring and the other thing that we would identify is the number of um, completed scrums as well and how long those scrums take to actually complete because that's obviously where a lot of the problems are. And I always get really, really frustrated when I see the first, first scrum of the game and there's the referee's blown a free kick or a penalty without having a word with the, 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 you know, the front rows. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's, what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify where those errors are between the referees and, and how we might be able to help World Rugby in, in, in identifying those. There does seem to have been a fairly crucial uh, red card missed. Andrew Porter has been cited. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but like he's going to be banned because it was a red card offence. Like, sure. No, <laughs> it, he doesn't, but I think it might have had a material impact on the outcome of the game. Yeah, yeah, but if you actually watch it and you slow it down, the rules of the law, and I'm not, I'm not a referee, but the, the rules of the law uh, say if he's stationary or moving backwards when the impact happens, is my take on it is that that's a mitigating instance. He's not actually moving forward into the tackle to try and... The word absorbing was used. Yeah, yeah. So he, the, 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 the ball carrier, it's happening in milliseconds. The ball carrier is running towards him. He's just staying in his ground. It, it's basically a simple way of saying that that player ran into him rather than yeah. the defender running into the, the player's face. Yeah. Now, neither are good. And they're trying to stamp it out. But, you know, I think... So you think there's a chance he gets off? Um, no, anytime it goes to a siting committee, you're usually going to get some sort of ban. They won't bring all those people together just for the sake of it. Yeah. In that instance, it should have been a red card. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I'm not going to complain. No, I'm, I, well, I just think yeah. that like, if it had happened to us, we would be complaining. Yeah, but like, it's, um, yeah, look, it, it's, it's a very small part of the game in reality. These things happen all the time. The, if you look at all the, the instances in the game that were considered somewhat dirty or or off the off the cuff, like this is one out of maybe in the whole series, there's probably fifteen or twenty of these that happen overall in the game where there's somebody standing at the rook and somebody comes in, they drop yeah. their shoulder. These yeah. things happen all the time. Yeah, okay, okay. So it's not. It's, I, I wouldn't consider it that we, big. We of had a few of those as well, but um, <laughs> moving yeah. swiftly on. Yeah. So. Um, New Zealand, obviously, and their struggles. The, what kind yeah. of a, a performance level improvement did you see from week two to week three? Yeah, so this is, we, we actually have a bit of a, a stat here just around um, the, the quality of the two performances between week one and week two. And um, we might show that slide. Up slide. There, yeah. 
Um, so basically what we see here is, is that they're they're rooking as a main stationary. So just explain the slide yeah. to us for anybody who's looking at it here. So you've got week two and week three mapped out. Yeah, week two and week three. So we've got the quality of the two teams and based on skill sets. So rooking, carrying, tackling, passing, you know, the, the important things. And this is just the New Zealand map, right? This is just the New Zealand between week two and week three. So the the, the uh, dotted line or the, the double lines is week two and the, the, the solid line is week three. And you can see that there is a, a marked improvement in their carrying but you know their rooking and their um, tackling has remained the same which you know it takes up probably 40% of what they do and their kicking was kind of slightly worse or slightly better their line out um, got a lot lot worse and their passing got a lot lot worse between weeks two and week three and that that kind of fits into kind of like the overall prognosis of what happened in New Zealand and we were just to look at it from say the first 25 minutes of the game and the mistakes you hear the the New Zealanders leading up to their game. They were talking about unforced errors, but like when you're talking about unforced errors, we look at everything. We look at unforced errors. We just talk to call them errors because we look at you know whether it's an error at the breakdown or not. But if we were just to take the first twenty five minutes, you got seven minutes. There's an up and under that went too long. Then there's a turnover from the line out that preceding line out. Then there's a missed penalty that happens at ten minutes. A knock on from a pick and go. That's thirteen minutes. 16 minutes uh, missed pass that was you know a really good uh, setup um, then at 30, uh, 24 minutes uh, Rico Liani um, butchers a 4 on 3 he then gets turned over by uh, Josh van der Fleer and then um, gives a penalty away for being offside which is one of the penalties that the, the referees found all of this, including what we have on screen, and you know, if we look at the poor breakdown, there's also the tackling without the ball, which is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Which is, you know, tack- New Zealanders tackling the ball without the ball, which means that there's gaps for the switch play or for um, so. This, along with the repetitiveness of say, like their kickoffs, for instance, you know, they they kept they kept on going to. I think it was. Um, um, Bundyaki yeah, kept, kept on catching it, yeah. and it was just like they kept on doing the same thing over and over again. There was no, there was no change in their method. There was nobody there telling them, okay, this isn't working, lads. Let's go to something else. Um, and then also something that was very apparent in this um, game was um, Smith is it or the scrum half um, skipping skipping the pods of three. So there's three pods of three guys that are standing maybe five or six metres away and what he'll do is he'll usually hit the middle guy because the middle guy then will crash it up and you, or you can bring it out the back or you can pop it onto either one guy left or right of him um, so there's four or five options for that player that, that, that in the middle but what um, Aaron Smith kept on doing was just skipping the, the, the pod altogether and hitting the last guy and it was just like he, he looks like he's doing that because it looks good and then there are ten as well uh, Barrett you know banana kicking the ball into touch when there was absolutely you know that's, that's a kick where if you're really close to the touchline you'll try and put a bit of spin on it so that, that'll go out you know further all of these things are you know they're, they're not necessary some of these are, are obviously necessary but some of them aren't necessary to do and it just that Lian, uh, Rico Liani um, errors basically forces the other players to try and do more in the game which then you know oh I won't pass in because he's made so many mistakes and that, like you see this in schools, rugby, you see it in professional, international, you see it all the way up. That along with, um, you know, their, their kicking as well was poor, but um, it lowers confidence. And then what happens is that then breeds predictability. 
And that's the worst thing that you can have in rugby is being predictable because teams will figure you out very, very quickly. And this, all of this together just has more of a problem about what's, what's happening in New Zealand rugby. I think we've talked about it before, but, you know, if you look at what's happened they've, from the club perspective is that they've lost their biggest opposition. You know, why, why, why are France doing so well? You know, why are France doing so well? Well, France invested loads of money and time in young players like 10 years ago when yeah. they won the rights to host the World Cup and they've got somebody in charge. And they, anyway, they've, got, they've, they've got a uh, rugby plan that puts the international team at the very top of that and yeah. that also allows the clubs to do whatever they want. And it's hugely competitive at club level. But it's more so that they have two fully-fledged professional or competitions that are playing week in week out and that are building the the performance of all players strength um, and depth yeah yeah like players coaches individuals involved in the, in in rugby are living breathing in a professional era and it's evolving the sport and evolving anybody that's in it so they've got french teams to play against they've got teams against europe and now they've got teams against south africa so all of that collective is going to get in, is invested in and it's going to get better New Zealand are out in the middle of their on their own now. They don't have anything like that. The Australians are are are, are press refresh for the third time now. They, so I don't know. I, I think it's it's a, it's a pretty serious problem for New Zealand, especially with that CDC money that's come in. Right. So you expect money. You think this could be the start of a dark age for New Zealand rugby? No, like they've still got amazing players, but like I, me myself, I, I would look at a lot of content around coaching and how players are. are taught and how you know different aspects of coaching and training like all of that used to come from New Zealand you know what I mean all of that used to come from Graham Henry's time you know just even going to contact and and the New Zealand Sport Institute was like a legendary kind of uh, this is an example of how every, all sport all around the world should yeah. be done and maybe the rest of the world is caught up with that I think so I think I think it's I just don't see that content coming out in New Zealand anymore. You know, I don't see the, the what's happening at the breakdown. You know, they're, like what's happening in the breakdown. They were absolutely miserable at the weekend at the breakdown. Here's the thing, right? Mm. Uh, a combination of Joe Schmidt and Scott Robertson could fix that really quickly. Like what we're talking about <clears> there is not players who have bad skills. It's players who have been badly coached. Gordon Darcy said on, on Friday mm. that he thought the team was really badly coached. And I think mm. everybody has come to that conclusion, including the people who run New Zealand rugby and all of the New Zealand media. So... That bit is fixable. The bit about them not having South African opposition, that's a much longer global problem that um, yeah, somehow they're going to have to I, fix. I would see that as a bigger issue than anything else. I would see the fact that they're only playing against themselves to a certain extent. They're only playing 15, 16, or 18 games, I think it was this year that they played in the, in the Super Rugby competition. So they're only playing half the year. So they need to be able to be... Anyway, sure, we'll see what happens, but it's it's definitely a, a, an error or an issue or something to be. You, th- you think it's wider than Foster? Oh, big time! Yeah, 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 yeah. much much bigger than that. Yeah. yeah. However, in the short term, there are fixes, right? The stuff that you're talking about yeah. there, like um, make sure the pods get hit up, mm. make sure the breakdown is good. That vastly improves the performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm like that. And the, so there's a couple of different ways of playing. There's there's um, I think we've spoken about this before, but it's you've got your um, game plan to try and imp- get the best players that you have into the in- getting them into positions where they can get the ball to make it biggest impact or you've got very process driven coaches that basically 
follow patterns and follow we, we need to be here, we need to go this, we need to do that. And then you've got a hybrid where you've sometimes you've got really, really good coaching, you've got really, really good players and you can you can try and merge the two of them together. I think that if Josh Smith had a bunch of players like Will Jordan and his team yeah. and Artie Sevilla, he would yeah. give them more freedom than he gave to the Irish players. So I, I would be very worried for the rest of the world <laughs> if Joe Schmidt was to bring his process yeah. and his, his fascination with the breakdown in the set piece yeah. and then have those players implement those plans because you but know, it could be late for too late for those guys because not, once once you're five or six minutes into a game the, a lot of these guys they're in their early tw- late 20s early 30s they're they've they've oh, this is all they've known but have we not got have we not are we not the app the actual uh, the proof that I, it's possible to yeah. evolve and, and change because what our players knew for such a long period of time was that Joe Schmidt yeah. you do what you're told you be where you're supposed to be yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you can feck off don't drop your key card uh, whereas with Andy yeah. Farrell it's like no no we're going to have a good time <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. we're going to have a party yeah, um, we're going to get loaded yeah 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 so I, like I think it's possible to change oh de- most definitely I, and like you will definitely see a, a bump in performance by the team once the the, yeah. the new coaching setup comes in but whether or not they can have a impact, look, it depends on what they're going to try and do. Are they going to try and do short, medium, or long term? Yeah, well, and you know, like World Cup right is going to be a huge target for them. Yeah, it's yeah, like, of course. Yeah. So, like, just makes perfect sense, doesn't it, that the coaching change is probably going to happen? That it's not going to happen. That uh, it probably yeah. will happen. Oh, most definitely will. Yeah, there's no, you can't, you can't survive. I don't think. I don't think so. And um, like from what you've seen of Schmidt and of Robertson, which would be a better fit given their current malaise? I, I wouldn't put Schmidt in there. Like, if it was my decision, I wouldn't make Schmidt. So I think the rules are, there's rules in place in New Zealand around whether or not you can, you have to spend at least one year in a New Zealand team coaching before you can become uh, registered to be the head coach. So I, I think in reality, they'd probably just put Robertson in because he's already... Um, He's already been paid by the New Zealand Rugby Union, so he'll be able to put his whoever he wants in. And maybe and they they force him to put Schmidt in because they obviously rate Schmidt. Like um, I don't know. I, can you have two two head honchos in there? Well, I don't know. Schmidt might decide that he doesn't want to do all the crap that comes with being yeah, the head coach yeah, and, yeah. and like have a Stuart Lancaster style period where you get a lot of the credits, mm. but most of the crap is handled by Scott Robertson. And then if if it goes tits up, it's like well, nothing to do with me. I don't know. I don't know. I think having two types of like both of those guys are coaches, right? Like they try putting Joe Schmidt into the world rugby place, and he, you know, too many suits is what I heard. Right. So I, I can't imagine Joe Schmidt sitting around waiting to see what uh, well, maybe, I don't else know. is going to try and do. Yeah, maybe maybe then it's just got Robertson, and that makes yeah. the most sense because it's it's you his could turn. See, you could see uh, Joe Schmidt going into Crusaders. You know? And that would also make sense. Okay, yeah. let's. The, the last thing we're going to yeah. talk about is Sexton. Yeah. So this is just. Um, I know we've been talking a lot about who is the sort of player that uh, Johnny is and what what makes him so good. And this is just. We took um, five games. His last five games. We didn't take the, the first test uh, from the New Zealand game, but we took the three games in the Heineken Cup and we took the the, the last two games. And we kind of categorise what he does, and you can see that you know 35% of what he does is carrying, so it's him taking the ball onto the line. Then 24% of what he does is passing, kicking 20%, and 14% uh, uh, 14% is tackling. So this is kind of like what what we're looking at as a blueprint of what it is type type of player that we want to you know that we we have. Um, 
And no, so it's when like you're, when you're looking for replacements, they need yeah, to be. Yeah, so there's like another 9% of other things that he does, like turnovers and things like that. But this is this is just carrying, this This is just showing you kind of like what type of player he is. But then when we put it against the, the grades, against all the other players in the league, and we, we put up the next slide then, we can show... Where where Jonathan Sexton lies um, compared to the other the other um, players, so we don't have we, <clears throat> we when we grade everything you know we need to have a certain number of activities to be able to clearly identify what type of player they are. So we have lots and lots of players that carry the ball. So when we when we average out Jonathan Sexton's, he comes sixty eighth out of one hundred and fifty of the players when it comes to carrying. And this doesn't take into consideration how far how how deep he is. How far away from the 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 defence he is when he lets go of the ball, but in reality, the two things that we want to look at, I mean, you'd, you'd probably guess this is that you know he's number one of passing and he's number three of kicking, so he's really really high in passing and really really th- good at kicking, and then he's kind of middle middle of the park for tackling. But this is this is how we you know if we want to figure out whether or not Crawley's the next guy up, or we want to identify if Joey Carberry. This is what we need to do: is like identify, you know, where our other players land compared to Johnny, and figure out whether or not we can improve those players over the short, medium, long term. Frawley's never going to play if if he goes back to Leinster unless something, unless there is a change in policy. Because Ross Byrne is mm-hmm. the incumbent second string number ten, and um, I don't know, uh, was it Roy O'Connor was saying Ulster? Get get him to Ulster for the season. I'm like, you know, we're, yeah. we're, it's World Cup crisis mode now. Or it's like <laughs> already, Jerry. You're well, trying to bring us down again. I'm not. I'm not. It's like we we we. It's so 14 months. So look yeah, look months. look at the first test. Yeah. When Sexton goes off, the game disintegrates. Yeah. No, I I understand that. And but like we got to remember that, that that those players hadn't played together in an awful long time. So it could have been quite a significant part of rustiness. The if if we were to change that up and look at the second test and we had the first full game of Sexton in there, I think you wouldn't see as big of an impact on the game as Sexton would have had. If somebody else had... Yeah, I think I think there was a bigger breakdown in different things. There was a lot of fluky tries. There was, you know, I think if, if we were to scale it back and, and look at it from a, an analytical perspective, there... There is a chance that he we can kind of have him have less and less of an impact on the game, and you know because there's 15 lads on the pitch, you know what I mean? And there's injuries, and there's you know refereeing decisions, and there's 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 lots of different things that happen. But if if we hold our shape and we continue to plateau, like I don't think there's any point in Ireland trying to really trying to improve any more significantly. I think they can add different things to their game and different ways of playing to their game. But I think they're at number one now in the world. I think it's now part, now it's a point of levering off our performance and, and staying at that level over the next eighteen months, rather than trying to change anything now, like Harrington Wood with a swing or whatever. You know, why would you do that? And then, like that, that that's what we, we're looking at. We've now we've shown progress. We've shown improvement. We've shown that we've we, we can play very well, expansive, you know, enjoyable rugby. We don't we don't need to do much more over the next couple of months. Who is the out half that most closely resembles that breakdown in actions by Sexton? Um, uh, Ross Byrne. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's probably is that have to do with just his Leinster education and being the understudy to Sexton? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But like, you would see um, 
Daniel Barrett now, for instance, he would carry a lot more, so he rather than passing. So there, it's it the ten over five games is a very big data set. You know what I mean? This is we can we can say with pretty accuracy. This is the type of player, and this is how good he is. But if we were to do the same for Barrett, we would see that he carries a lot more, and he he doesn't pass as much, and so that's. You know what we're trying to do here is, is identify the style of play that you're playing, and then identify whether or not there's a player in, you know, New Zealand or Australia or South Africa that would fit into this mold. Rather than, you know, it's it's not necessarily just about the player; it's about the, the position. And who's closer to Sexton stylistically, Carberry or Frawley? I I would guess Frawley. I don't have the data. Do I don't. Like, it feels to the eye like Frawley is. I, I don't know why I think that. It feels like Carberry's more of a, a carrying out half. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, he used to be. He would have been considered uh, carrying out half when he came out of uh, amateur in, from Clontarf, but I, I don't know. Like it's I, I, we don't. I, I, we've only started capturing data in the last two sure. and a half months, so we're only starting. Like really, yeah. so I don't have. This is this is just over. There's a lot of top fourteen rugby in this. There's a lot of uh, European rugby, but there's there's not a huge amount of international or URC data in here. Um, Ardi Savea's performance looked amazing. Was it as amazing? No, really? No, no, no. <laughs> like the uh, certain players do certain things, and those certain things have like our brains are based on recency bias. You know, we when we see something, we go, oh, "It's bright and shiny, it's deadly." He goes, "Look at that!" And then that's that's what Artie Sevi is. He he's a brilliant player. Like, don't get me wrong, but he he does the things like carrying the ball. That's really important. But he he misses quite a lot of tackles. And he also is really poor at the breakdown. So, you know, he gives away quite a lot of penalties as well. So when you see the game and you see somebody doing something really good, you go, oh, that's really, he's a really good player. And he's then got like stays the nicest sidestep in world rugby. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's really sexy. But that's not that, that, that 40 meter carry that he made. It, it, you got to take into consideration the three missed tackles that he made that were, you know, 45 meters lost. That that minus five meters has a negative impact on your team overall. So you got to take that into consideration, as well as everything else. So it's, I, I'm not saying that's exactly what happens, but uh, like no, none of the New Zealand players played well. And when it comes to the Irish players that we were glorifying, like mm. do they all stand up? Like Tyg Byrne, for example. Yeah, Tyg Byrne has had handling issues in the past. That that um, he knocks the ball on, but then he goes and does an intercept on Saturday. It's, amazing <laughs> so but he, he would be a player that that um if i was to sit him down and have a chat with him is is is, is tackling because he's always he's always always thinking about the poaching or, or counter rooking so you'll see him he'll he'll if he's a tackle assist that's basically you got the tackler which is the first guy and then you got a tackle assist he, if he's a type of the tackle assist he won't try and stop the player he'll just get get in the way and then try and counter rook but that results in a negative play for you and it's if it's if it's a negative play then the, the guys who are rooking tend to be going forward but if you hit those guys behind the game line and you push them back those those in, the guys in the pod run past the, the, the actual uh, ball carrier and as a result they, it's easier for you to poach so um, it's just it's just one of those things that we've looked at in the past which is you know who would be the best defender and who would be considered not the best defender in the Six Nations, for instance. And Tyke Byrne, although he's a really, really good poacher and he's really good, um, he turns the ball over a lot. A lot of times he does make a negative tackle, which, which results in a, in a loss in play. 
So you got like, there's it's only when you kind of take everything into consideration are you able to identify what type of player they are. And you ask what the trade-off there is, like what's the, as a coach, do I want some of this in the game or do I want all of this? And yeah. yeah, but you need poachers, you need, you need, you need guys that, would, that, that if that's the game plan that you're looking to implement. And you know, that was what, one of the issues that's with, with uh, Leinster in the final. You know, they didn't have those poachers in the game to, to, to put Larishel, yeah, to put yeah. Larishel under pressure, you know. All right. All right, Derek, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Um, that's uh, Derek McNamara been with us over the course of the uh, last three tests and uh, hopefully we'll be back again from Sports Asset Management. Um, if anybody wants to read your stuff or get more of it. Yeah, right. I suppose the, the best way to get in contact with me is by LinkedIn because um, we're just getting started and anybody who's actually interested in this stuff, if you want to get in contact, we're looking for people to, to help out and uh, especially analysts or people that want to get involved who've never worked in sports before but have always wanted to give it a go. Get right. in contact. Well, best of luck. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. All-Ireland winners James O'Connor and Shane McGrath joined Richie McCormick on last night's OTB to reflect on Limerick's first ever three in a row. Back with papers after this. They look like, again, that they're not done. And speak, seeing and, and listen to Hagerty after the game in particular, I mean, after you know playing for 75 minutes in that heat, and uh, he looked like he could have gone for another 25 minutes. <laughs> and, and then, you know, to be... As you know, as grounded and as down to earth as he was, and 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 speak as about the way you know the Dublin footballers have spoken, and you know, and, and Kilkenny hurlers in the past that you know this is like a drug to those guys. And uh, I said that's bad news for everybody else listening to him in interview after the game, and and you know what their mindset is going to be going forward. Yeah, Shane, those players out there are kind of rare. Like he, 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 they have that ability to time almost moves at a different speed for them. And you got that sense watching Groot Hegarty yesterday, pretty much from the goal chance onwards. Uh, the speed of thought with which he executed that goal was sublime. And then factor in, as, as James mentioned, several points that he knocked over after that. Like he was, seemed to be playing his own game in a way, in, in amongst a fantastically well-oiled machine. Um, but he did have seem to have that extra split second of time with which to make decisions, with which to get shots away, and was just exceptional, really. Yeah, I suppose a few things on Garot Hegarty. I think the, the first thing is I remember I think I heard him doing an interview after about the 2018 final in which you know Limerick made the breakthrough and I suppose you know they broke that last ceiling and they set up for the historic stuff they're after doing now and winning the first one for them it's always nearly the hardest like because it gives them the belief but Hegarty did an interview after that and said while well, he was absolutely thrilled that they won he was actually disappointed with his own performance in that game and like James is after calling out his numbers like from the last three finals since and it's it's off the charts but this guy's playing a different game to everyone else lads. I mean his physicality you know he's everyone a lot of people know he's a fantastic footballer as well he's an athlete but this guy can hurl like he's some stick man I mean we, we all talk about Keen Lynch's ability to flick that ball in his hand you know at pace and just make it look so easy Hagerty's doing it on a regular basis Um he doesn't go full tilt all the time you know he's kind of moving around ghosting around but you know he almost seems disinterested and then he's, he's gone and it's, it's too late for whoever's marketing because you don't know when he's going to go and when he's not going to go. But, you know, he, I, I, I feel that just even watching it in Crow Park that he knows when he needs to go full tilt, when he needs to go 100% and he knows when he can just ghost around and find that space for himself. He's one of the best in the game at doing it. Like, and even even listening to guys maybe that, that would have marked him before, like, I mean, he's very difficult to mark because of his physicality, his hurling ability, but because of that hurling brain he has to find space know when to make a run, know when to not, you know, know when to save energy for the next run. And, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's just, 
he's one of the most unmarkable figures in the game at the moment. You know, no matter what way you go about trying to mark him, if you go physically. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. Right, we're going to run you through the uh, newspaper headlines. The future's so bright. That's a picture of the uh, Limerick lads celebrating in the Gaelic grounds yesterday. And then Premier Leader Tip turned to Cal as new hurling boss. I wonder which of those stories will be the biggest one this time next year. Is there a possibility that he can turn Tipperary around? Certainly the talent base is there. Um, Potty Mar was pretty clear that there were problems that needed fixed. They fixed them. We're moving on. Will the ends justify the means? That was um, one of the questions. Yeah. Uh, Keen's pain was my gain man of the match Hegarty admits Lynch injury let him start final were they going to drop Grout Hegarty he thought they were John Duggan good morning to you no chance Ger and Owen Morning n- never hoped to be dropping Hegarty one of I, the, I don't think so either first names on the team sheet but he, he felt it or say, no. he says he felt it I, like especially after the semi-final I felt that he was due a big performance that he was you're not going to drop any of that half forward line I was actually surprised they took Tom Marcy off when they did but, uh, <laughs> he was so good you know, it's it was a strange so one. But Limerick always just didn't had enough. Uh, you're the Ron that I want. Ten Hag, I'll build team around Chris. My captain call can boost Maguire. I mean, uh, would you be surprised if Harry Maguire nor Cristiano Ronaldo were playing that much for Man United next season? Uh, is, Maguire is this, start the season. Definitely listen to Ten Hag yesterday. Maguire's going to start the season. Is this an off-season narrative that's absolute bullshit? No, I think they're very different situations. I think the Ronaldo situation is very different to Maguire. Just listening to Ten Hag, I think the Ten Hag soundings are that he has to say that Ronaldo is part of his plans, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone. Whereas what he's saying about Maguire is he's going to start at the heart of that defence alongside Lissandra Martinez at the start of the season. And what about Rafa Varane? He, I would be, I would say he's more likely to exit Manchester United uh, than Harry Maguire. Really? Just, uh, just based on what Ten Hag was saying yesterday. But is that not just the whole point? Ten Hag is going to say whatever he wants, and then. No, I don't. I, I think that would be a weird sort of reverse psychology. Maybe he's just giving him a chance. I think he'll give him a chance at the I start. Think of the this season. Harry Maguire is about giving him a chance, yeah. and we'll see what happens. Might be there. a season-long chance. Yeah, amazing. It's like it's only around the corner. It's like the race post football kickoff is um, next Monday, <laughs> and it's got a clear run now. Football for the rest of the year. Kyle appointed as Bonner's club hit out of Tipperary boards. Um, just trying to find it. Well, Great disgust. That the, uh, is that the words? Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Tipperary statement last week. Therefore, it was with great disgust to learn on social media a press release from the Tipperary County Board on Thursday, headlined by the line, Colin Bonner relieved of his duties. We find the statement unacceptable towards a man that had firstly given everything as a player in the blue and gold and secondly was clearly enthusiastic about entering into the second of his three-year term. He had a clear vision towards developing the current player base into the future and presented this to a 15-person management committee. That was obviously Cattle Kilcormick's uh, uh, Alexander Zinchenko heading to Arsenal. Maybe Tielemans. Arsenal are the busiest, busy little yeah. beavers, aren't they? In a very good window. Very, very good window. I thought at the start it was going, things were going to go slowly, but they've placed into gear nicely. And of course, Alexander Zinchenko, Granite Jacka, shake hands, being like, we can both play midfield and left back. And uh, that's their, that's going to be their little click for the year. You're, um, you're back in. What's mean I'm back in? You're back on the bandwagon. Oh, I was on that bandwagon last season. That's why I'm still a broken man. Uh, in the dark, United boss Ten Hag admits he still hasn't spoken to Ronaldo, opens up on Fergie and Maguire. Dutchman reveals why he won't buy British. Oh no, that's the mail. That's the Irish mail. With that. Over 40,000 fans welcome History Boys home. Uh, how many are they going to do, John? Uh, another one anyway. Um, I think Cork could be the team. If Cork get a bit of physicality into their ranks, I think Cork with Pat Ryan might be the team. 
it could take a while, right? It'll take a while. It do, it, so, like it, uh, the, the only team that'll beat Limerick is Limerick. It's all about hunger and Limerick and what their sense of history is. And like, and they, to be honest, they've completed the set now by beating Kilkenny in the final, so they've nothing really to prove. Um, so it's 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 it's, it's their hunger levels. Um, the round robin is tough. Round robin is tough, like to get out of. Uh, we see with Waterford, their dip. Um, reach the final. We all thought they were going to be the challengers this year. Round robin, if it starts going against you in the round robin, it can be difficult, but you'd have to expect Limerick will get out of it and then they're into the All-Ireland series. I think it's very tempting to feel that they're unstoppable at this moment though. Like it felt after they won the All-Ireland last year, I thought they're definitely, definitely getting to five. And then there were moments this year where you're like, God, I'm not sure if they're going to get to three. So, like, I'm still not 100% sure they will do the four next year because of the quality of teams around them. And I'm not necessarily sure it is Limerick that's going to beat Limerick next year. I think Galway or Kilkenny, as you say, I do think the Cork thing is a couple of years. I think the physicality aspect that could stop the five rather than the four and then potentially Clare. Uh, I think, listening to Park Maher yesterday, who obviously knows a hell of a lot more than we do, he I got a tone off him that that's, it's going to be the, the five that they would probably stop rather than the four. Tid need another year, maybe two years under Liam Cal before they're ready to stop them. I think their injury profile was so horrific this year maybe. that like the team will be completely different without having to get the kids in and the kids are coming that he knows really well so I don't know yeah like they were, it's it's not totally like for like but there is uh, like a, they, they will have looked at what Limerick did with a very talented under 21 crop and they'll be thinking to themselves why can't we be uh, just not as just as dominant but why can't we kind of glean one all Ireland off, off that conveyor belt Kia Lynch wasn't there I think Limerick's bench yeah. was strong um, yeah like they'll be very hard to knock off the perch alright uh, there's too much GA on the TV it's making people fed up uh, and Riverwolf says there are other professional sports in Ireland that should be getting more coverage athletics and other sports but please go easy in the GA it's total overkill now at this stage five days out from an Ireland football final we're doing too much Owen Riverwolf will be happy in ten days time when there will be no more GA ever um, I mean it's definitely going away for a while yeah just we can all go back to our counties and catch up with the local scene now we can the um, Tyrone County Board put all their stuff behind a paywall as opposed to uh, so that's the best stuff They're, they don't want anybody to see that yeah they're like no 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 no. this is a secret yeah didn't they? I think RT managed to get one of those Tyrone games last year didn't they and it was a it was a pretty good game maybe it was the year before but yeah more, more of that I guess Like for those Friday night club games were pretty enjoyable um, interesting at the Open in the aftermath of the Open Greg Norman uh, telling the, the winner he's in good company because, you know, obviously Greg Norman won the Open too. 21 years since, or 29 years, however it was. 29, Greg, yeah. Greg Norman's statement was all about Greg Norman. Well done, Cameron. You're joining the club that I'm a member of, that I blaze a trail for. It was really, it was like, wow. That um, nice little insight into his, oh, this guy's great. You know, he's the future of golf in our country. No, no, no. He's moving. He's going to live, you'd have to think. He's going. He's going to wait until the, the FedEx the is over. Yeah, yeah, and then go. Yeah. Um, it's Matsuyama as well, apparently. Uh, so it's it's a disaster for golf. It's a crisis. These are the ones now that actually matter, like, did yeah. Fairly go? And it's kind of, you know, grand, whatever. I understand. Uh, I, up to this point, it's been a kind of bunch of washed up golfers. No, Dustin Johnson and Cameron Smith and even DeChambeau, um yeah, it's beginning to get to the stage now where, it's, where the players that matter are going. And it's, uh, it's very sad because how much fun was it for us to watch the Open for the four days and feel very sorry for Rory. Um, but there was a haunted look, and I think Oliver Holt wrote about it, about Phil Mickelson last week. There was a haunted look to him, didn't go to the dinner. Um, and there's a degree of 
soul setting. I think that's been going on with these live golfers now. Not that they're going to care, but um, look, maybe in time they'll adjust their format and they'll end up with seventy-two whole tournaments and, and of course they will. And none of this team stuff, and yeah. they'll end up like, and then they'll end up doing some kind of deal with the with the PGA, and, and it'll all work out in the wash. But at the moment, it's all about. I'm fascinated to see what the approach is going to be about the world ranking points because Martin Slumbers from the RNA was scathing about live last week. So, but with Smith moving. Mm, this is not good. Like, well, what's Cameron Smith tumbles down the rankings because he can't get any ranking points, and then he's got to qualify for the Open in a few years. That's not great, you know. He'll be exempt, obviously, from the Open for yeah, uh, yeah, that's for right, for five years, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but, but say the Players Championship that he won, like he, he's going to be bad from the tournament he won this year. Yeah, that's not great. Anything else going on, JD? Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the rugby, but um, I think I've probably done all my talking about that on Twitter the last few days. What was the response like? <laughs> Significant. <laughs> Significant, and I stick by my guns. It was on New South Wales. I just said it was the greatest day in our sport since the Romania game in 1990, and uh, got a got a significant response. So, go on. Didn't Matt Williams agree with you last night? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, for a hundred years we've been the plucky underdog nation in sport, and. Um, uh, there's only so far that can bring you. So 2011 against Australia, we have a brilliant win of the group stage, the World Cup lose to Wales. Uh, win of the Giant Stadium, we don't even get further than that uh, in terms of winning another game of that World Cup. Now the heat was a factor. We, we beat Italy and Lille in a dead rubber. We're only going to get so far. So when I'm thinking of, of, of Irish sport conquering the world, you're thinking about Katie Taylor, Kelly Harrington, Paul Harrington and Rory. Um, for Irish rugby team to be number one in the world rankings, to go down to New Zealand and beat one of the great institutions in world sport. And for people then to be calling it a friendly, I thought that was insulting. I also would suspect there might be a degree of cultural resentment towards rugby. Um, and I'm not a rugby man, I'm a soccer man. And I went to GA Christian Brothers School. But to see New Zealand lose their first test series in the professional era, I think it is a ma- massive achievement. And people go, well, I might go, well, where are the flags outside the windows and all that kind of thing. Maybe sometimes sport is consumed in different ways. When you see, I know this game is on Sky, but when you see Six Nations matches or the TV ratings for them, it's like a million people. So I, I just think uh, we ought to be getting behind the Irish team. And um, that's why the, some of the commentary has, has disappointed me. Maybe some people felt I was engaging in hyperbole, but to say it's just a friendly and just to dismiss it like that. Going down to New Zealand and, and win the Test Series hasn't been done in the professional era, hasn't been done since France in 1994. The Australians and South Africans did it. And we gush about the Lions so much, the British and Irish Lions. We talk about all the great tours in New Zealand. They haven't won a tour down there since 1971. And New Zealand can't afford to lose Test Series. Ian Foster's not going to be the coach next year of the World Cup. Aaron Smith was crying in the anthem. In Toronto, tell me it didn't matter look at the start of the second half so for this team at the end of the season to lose a first test and then to go back and win the series I think is an incredible achievement alright yeah no it is an incredible achievement absolutely it's interesting like how you, uh, if you classify like your uh, happiness towards Irish Opie moments over the last few years like was that like your number one most, was that the most joy? I know it's a different conversation, but was that the most joy you felt? For yeah, yeah. well, I was that? shouting in the office. I, the, the thing for me is, uh, I don't like this plucky underdog narrative that's been around since the foundation of the state 100 years ago. Um, we want to be going there and dominating teams and winning on the global level in sport. And that's why it meant so much to me in terms of a, a supporter. And um, as I say, this is not a rugby man. Um, that's the narrative we wanted to smash. And the only way we're going to win a World Cup or do anything in world sport is by smashing that narrative. Um, and that's why it meant so much to me, symbolically as an Irish person. 
All right, John, good stuff. All right, lads. More from John, of course, every Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Right, speaking of GAA coverage, back talking hurling, and I'm delighted to say uh, David Herity is back with us. David, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm very good, Jar. How are you keeping? What did you make of the rugby before we get into the hurling? Yeah, yeah. The greatest sporting moment. Uh, just listen there. Um, Jesus, it was pretty amazing, in fairness. I, I don't... Like it's funny you probably, you know we'd obviously be talking about the hurling dollar in the final in a short while. I was more emotionally attached to the rugby than I would have been to the GA on Sunday. When it comes to the GA, I kind of tend to look at it in a a manager's point of view now and kind of look for something that I can rob to bring back to my own team, whether it's a warm up or the state of play or the movement of the forwards. You kind of you don't really get into the whole. This is amazing. But Jesus, the rugby I thought it was incredible. I thought the way, um, especially after. Obviously, the ball off the crossbar from Johnny Sexton to go down the field, you know, for them to get the try and then to kind of go along and think that, you know, you're always kind of thinking in the aftermath, everyone's going to be talking about, oh, another couple of inches that was over the bar for Johnny Sexton, but they lost. And it was another feel good kind of, they did well enough. They won a, one of the one of the games and I was able then to go back up the field and, and, and finish off the job. I thought it was exceptional. Yeah, I think it's, it's I, I thought it was an incredible performance by them. And just see them on the side and afterwards and obviously... Peter Manley uh, crying away, but just the subs coming down, just that whole euphoria that they're able to enjoy the last two minutes of a, a match like that on the sideline with the subs, knowing that you're about to create history. I, I, geez, I, I, uh, I thought that was pretty special. Uh, I actually thought there was a lot of parallels between Ireland's victory and a little bit about how Limerick were uh, clearly the better team. The other side yeah. gets back into it and then they have to fend them off. And I actually thought Rory McIlroy was going to do exactly the same thing and it was going to be this triple weekend of uh, of achievement where a team and what looks like the best team gives the opposition room to get back into the game so to to pivot to the hurling um, why were Kilkenny so close to Limerick at the end when it felt like Limerick scores were coming much easier than Kilkenny scores oh, that's I was looking at the stats afterwards that someone puts up on, on Twitter there and you know you're kind of looking for oh, that's the reason why uh Limerick won, or that's the reason why Kenny lost. But the similarities between them all, like what you said there, I found, you know, you're jotting down your little notes then in your programme, who's scoring what. Um, and all of a sudden, Kenny would get their score, like Richie Hogan score in the 63rd minute. And then you're kind of looking up and you're going, how did they, how the hell did Limerick just get a point straight away there? Yeah. As in, it just seemed to be the ease. It does go back down to Nicky Quaid. It goes down to the half forward line. Their movement is, that's what I was just fixated on the whole day, was looking at Gerard Hegarty moving a little bit left and then right and then left again. He's just going off. Tom Morrissey's just all over the place. And then Kyle Hayes, the same. They, they were they were unstoppable. Now, you would question whether why the Kenny halfbacks didn't stay to the outside of them and then pick them up as they're kind of coming over to meet them. And I thought there, was a, there wasn't as much communication there as should have been there. Like even when you looked at when Clare played Limerick back in uh, the Munster final, um, sorry, it was, the, it was the group game that time, and you saw the Clare lads was actually getting Gerald Hegarty in a headlock and dragging him to the ground on puckouts. You're kind of going, it nearly needed that level of physicality where someone just took one for the team and just decided, no, enough is enough here. You're not getting the run of the park. But he was, what did, what did he win? It was something like there was 13 puckets hit down on top of him. He won 11 clean. When you compare that to TJ Reid seemed to be kind of mauled and molested every single time the ball was hit down to him. He was still winning some of the puckouts, but how physically draining that must have been for him to win the ball with someone on his back and then to try and give off the ball. It just seemed like Kenny were exerting far more energy 
on the puck outs. I think that was the only stat that they kind of looked at and it went, Kenny, Kenny won 42% of their puck outs. Uh, Limerick had won 65 uh, of their long puck outs. I was thinking, yeah, it, it did made sense. Just the score seemed to come a lot easier for uh, Limerick than it did for Kenny. And yes, it was only a couple of points in the end. Like the, I, I definitely agree with you, David, that there, there is a sense that Limerick looked unstoppable at the weekend and they've looked unstoppable for years and yet Clare almost stopped them and Galway, Galway almost stopped them and on the scoreline when people look back they'll say geez that was a close game Kilkenny almost stopped them like is there and I appreciate they are absolutely one of the greatest teams of all time is there still an aspect about that though where we already have them on that pedestal and their reputation feeds into the idea that they're unstoppable as much as their brilliant performances do I always thought that they were kind of going in not four fifth gear. I just thought right. that there was always another level. Like when Richie Hogan got that point, and and you know the small enough Kilkenny crowd that seemed to be there, um, all of a sudden then they hit five in a row, and then obviously for the last few minutes then they just brought back Kyle Hayes and put him on the edge of the square, kind of going, you look at you might score a point or two here, but you're not going to bag a goal. Like if they'd won by five points, I think everyone would have went, wow, what an amazing team. Plus, you know, you, you do look at. Afterwards, they were reading an article this morning that David Reedy would barely made the final. Kyle Hayes barely made the final. They had an injury. Whatever the hell those injuries might have been, said the medical team did a great job. So they're probably after getting an injection there to try and get them through the game. Aaron Gillan didn't look 100%. Peter Casey's only after coming on. Keen Lynch didn't play a minute. So that's what you're kind of looking at, a team like that, that have more gears to come. They have a, a savage bench and they have those under-20s that probably would have won all Ireland if they had Cahill O'Neill there this year. So they've, uh, no, I, I, as, as much as I think you'd like to say, yeah, they're coming back to the pot and they are, are to, the, to the rest of the group, I actually think that they could blow it completely out of water next year. I, I think the likes of Keane Lynch, especially when it was him that was missing, imagine him coming back into that group next year, kind of drive the standards. Imagine him, he wants to be back out in that, that field, having that feeling in the in the 70th minute there, knowing he's going to win an All-Ireland. So... I, I can't imagine him letting up on any of the players around him. I can't, like, even their group. I, I, you hear so many stories coming out about them there the weekend. I was lucky enough to be in the GPA box uh, and you're kind of talking to different managers and they're all coming out with stories about Limerick but it, and just the, the envy of the kind of managers that are around there without naming names, kind of, that of they have their, their gym session night and strength and conditioning coach comes in and they're just all there. They're all doing exactly what they should be doing. Everyone's there. Everyone absolutely hammers it out the gym. Um, and then they head off home. And it's just a case of it's just running like clockwork that everyone is, they're driving such high standards. Every single player is driving around the next lad, the next lad. And obviously the lads coming in then, you know, the lads are playing, don't want to lose their position. So because they know they're on the crest of a, a, an incredible wave at the moment. And uh, Jesus, when you have players as motivated as that, it's that's a fairly unstoppable force. I think Shefflin was in the GPA box as well. Who was he shouting for? <laughs> I, Henry was there, and look, he's own Cody's nephew, and he's very close to TJ and Adrian Mullen as well, and uh, obviously Richie Reid as well. So yeah, no, all the all his kids. We met him up in the skyline earlier on that day, and they're all uh, dressed up there in Kilkenny gear. Yeah, no, the brilliant, and George was there as well. Um, talk to us about the goalkeepers, will you? Like what? What? Because there was various stages where. Uh, Nicky Quaid would let the ball run past him and you're like what's going on here and then it just looked a little bit kind of um, antsy in possession but it never it, it never resulted in a mistake after that it was just that like little extra second or uh, maybe he was maybe he was totally at ease in his environment it was like he was poking around in the back garden with the kids 
and um, the ball goes past he's kind of letting it in like pretending that he's letting it in and then all of a sudden he picks it up and pings a pass 70 yards so what was their respective performances like in, to your mind? Uh, Nicky Quaid I would say is on a par at the moment with Stevie Cluxon in his ability as a goalkeeper I saw him in 2018 I was blown away by him he kind of he's he has he has changed my whole thought process of of where goalkeeping and puck out should be in that he's waiting he's just he's ready with the, the the ball is literally up in his hand and he's the hurl just ready primed like it's not this usual you know back in Jesus, even in my day, you, you took the few steps and you absolutely lumped it. He is just constantly looking and waiting like a Terminator there, just trying to see, right, where is the space opening up? But the players are making space and then he hits the pocket. A lot of the, lot, a lot of keepers, obviously, all over the, the country, would the keeper hits the ball and the players move to where the ball is landing. But the players are making the move and they decide where the pockets are going uh, with the space that they're creating and then he's able to pick it out but he, he's able to control the tempo of the game he's not getting frustrated you never see him throwing up the arms going like again you would see in, in club games going well someone flip and move like you know he, he's just waiting and waiting and again you have Hegarty and Morrissey and they're moving over and back and it's uh, Jesus even even on the you know I said after the game on, on Sunday that's um, a scoreable free everything nowadays is that Everyone has their little gimmicks and their power plays uh, and so on. And there might be a score, but free there. And TJ took a free. So I'm kind of obsessed then looking at the, the Limerick forwards going, right, how are they going to set up on a score, but free? Because it's, it's an easy enough thing for uh, a forward line to try and know that what's coming up. And then they have those few, they're probably about 30 seconds to try and organise. Um, and then the first one, O'Donoghue and uh, Donovan pushed up right up into the half forward and created that bit of space. Now they ended up losing that one. But then the next one, then after TJ's free, they went spinal. And then the next one, then they went zonal. Uh, sorry, they loaded one side. And then the next one, next one was back to a spine again. You're, kind of, you're constantly looking around going, who the hell is organising this? There's no one pointing. There's normally one person. Maybe your centre forward is, is dragging everyone over because people aren't uh, awake to it. But they're just running like clockwork. They just move in, in such unity that they all know what they're doing. And they're all able to create this space. And again, I don't know, maybe if, if Paddy Deegan and Mikey Carey had stood to the outside of the two half forwards, maybe then Nicky Quaid has obviously the intelligence then right and going straight down the middle where there's three lads versus Richie Reid. Um, he's, he's, he is incredible. And again, you look back in the highlights and he's running out with the ball. Gerald Hegarty is just slotting out to that kind of the... the the, that that kind of between the 65 just picking up a ball and then he's driving over the bar it's it's a nightmare for defenders because normally the golden rule is you follow your forward out to the 65 and you leave him off after there because you kind of think well after there then he's probably going to get caught up and some midfielder is going to come out and he won't be able to be shooting under pressure but Carol Hegarty only needs kind of a yard of space and it's straight over the bar from 100 yards even when David Blanchfield was on him in that for the last puck he just threw him off like a rag doll and then slotted over the bar from about 80 yards. It's it's just sublime physicality. Uh, on Owen's puckouts, I just felt TJ was, he didn't have many options. The movement was, wasn't was great at all. The half forward line were far too close out to midfield looking for the ball. And that's an impossible ball for a goalkeeper to hit then because it's like a pitching wedge. You're trying to get it over the midfielders to land it down on, on the, the half forward line's head. But then you just have, like the Derek Burns point, you have a half-back who's just sitting ready that when he does catch it, he actually is out in the 65 and he can slot it straight back over the bar. They didn't seem to have as much cohesion in knowing right where are we going with this. And and then, 
obviously then he was route one down to TJ the half forward line were out too far so TJ was left isolated so when the ball did break you would probably Declan Hannon coming back picking up Barry Nash was obviously was always brilliant anyway um, and then kind of but, but when Wally Welch came on it gave him the two kind of high towers there in the in the second half then that he had two options there that he was able to go left and right and and Limerick found it quite difficult then for a while to try and get to terms with Wally Welch that's why I thought Wally or John Donnelly should have started to give uh, give on a bit more a bit more range there. Adrian Mullins obviously an outstanding hurler, but probably probably moving him to midfield and starting there and starting one of John or uh, Wally Welch in the final. I'd say that was just one of the mistakes that Kenny made. On the Quaid puckouts, David, can any team sort of replicate at least the plan of what you're talking about there of the clockwork of the the varying formations that are in front of Quaid? I know obviously the hard part of that is being as good as Nicky Quaid is in terms of nailing it every single time, just like Cluxon was in his heyday. But is there parts of that element of his game that other counties can replicate? Oh, everyone can. Everyone can. But you you need an extremely patient uh, goalkeeper that's not just going to get peed off and then all of a sudden then just kind of just drive the ball and throw the hands up. You need someone who's extremely calm, patient with the forwards, understanding it's not working now. It's not working. That moment is not there. Now it's there. Now I'm pinging it out. Now I can see the movement. And then they're able to get the ball. Again, just small little things. Gerard Hegarty's not winning a ball and he has his back turned to Owen Murphy's goal where he's just, he has to do a full 180 and he's a back up, uh, back up him. Uh, it's the fact that when that ball is bouncing, he's already winning the ball half turned. He has his shoulder nearly facing towards other goal. So a lot of his size, it's in, it's, it's incredibly easy then for him to just get a ball on the bounce, turn, and he's already gone through the back. It's an impossible job for the back. But that's that's months and years of planning. That's that's John Kiley and Kinnert being together now for for five years working on this. I'm sure they, I. I just say in my time, we would have worked on puckouts. We would have done probably about ten minutes of puckouts maybe three times a year where it was it was all about the break so I'd just lump down a ball we'd work on the break for 15 seconds and that was it and we'd blow up the whistle and we'd go back up again but there was no there's no movement there's no structure there's no one has a clue where they're going it's just a fact but then again you didn't have to when you had TJ Reid or Henry or Richie Power or Owen Larkin or, or Gertha there like just, you didn't have to be working on styles or, or formations you just did what you did but it's uh, it's completely it, it's it's the time and patience for a manager and a team to be able to go along and go, right, we're actually going to go along and spend a whole session on this tonight or we're spending 30 minutes tonight and again we're going over and going over and going over, going over before the match. Here are our puck out plans. Here are our options. And everyone's just drilling puck outs in. Because again, you know, you're 40, Owen Murphy has 42 puck outs on Sunday. Uh, Quaid had, I think it was 35. So, you're gonna. The keeper has the ball the most amount of time in a match. It's about respecting that and kind of going. Well, we have to get these forty-two and thirty-five puckouts right. Like you have, you have to put time into it. And uh, yeah, the, I, I just think it's it's nearly boring, or it's not. There's not enough meat to it there sometimes for managers where they're kind of going. Let's just get on with it. I just just like even here down in Westford, David Fitz had the Mark Fanning. He had an earpiece in him for one of the matches, one of the last matches where Mark Fanny didn't, wasn't in control of the puckouts anymore. David Fitz had the earpiece uh, and he was telling them where to puck the ball. You're kind of thinking, well, where's the autonomy there? Like that's, that's just one, that's only, that's only, was it two years ago? Now at this stage, uh, I think it was down below in Clare where again, I suppose that caused a bit of riff at the mo- at that time, but it's, it's, it's to be able to go along and actually trust your players and let them do what they're doing. But that's from, from, 
that's that's the quick fix trying to tell the manager wh- where to go and sorry just another thing just on puck outs because it is one of my pet peeves now in life uh, it's also the kind of manager when you are doing puck outs uh, the manager standing out around midfield facing the goalkeeper waiting for the goalkeeper to puck out the ball and I would have had arguments with Brian over the you know down through the years he's like hit out the ball hit the boy the boys are moving he'd turn around they'd all be like statues he'd turn around everyone would start buzzing all over the place and then he'd look back <laughs> and he'd go well, you hit the runners and I'm like there's nobody effing moving and then there'd be you know the stare off would happen then two, two ignorantly oh, sorry two headstrong men going at each other kind of but it was just that was it it was uh, you know if you want to see how puckouts are done stand down beside the goal and see what the keeper is seeing and all of a sudden then you'll see you'll soon see I used to kind of say it was like you know take me out uh, the show like that the lights start going out like you were corner back because you're back weren't you so that's that light gone and then he's after closing off the space of the half back so that's his light gone out and then you soon realise then there's seven or eight lights are gone the corner forwards are not even tuned into what's going on uh, because they think the ball is too far away like so it's you're trying to then explain to the manager but you're, if he's out of midfield it just doesn't work he doesn't see what's going on so that's why I look at technology as well having having cameras behind the goals and facing out and seeing all the movement patterns that you can now obviously makes a big big difference and I'm sure Limerick have all these uh, have all these uh, equipment there at, the, at their disposal would you wear an earpiece would you would you would you welcome that as a as a goalkeeper you can't see from where sorry as a goalkeeper would it no no not in a million years would I want someone in my ear or in my head I've enough I've enough voice in my own head there talking to myself <laughs> about stuff in life so I don't need someone else there roaring at me because again you cannot if you're a manager and you're pumped up in the silence something's after happening and then all of a sudden then you're there roaring at the goalkeeper down there like it, it, again you're, you're you're talking about how a manager communicates with his goalkeeper it generally is through a roar because that's the only way of getting your information to him I do, over an earpiece is not the way either because you'll be just telling them what to do and like I said most goalkeepers anyway are extremely headstrong mentors anyway uh, that's why they're probably in the goal they have that that, that in them that nature so uh, no I wouldn't ever have an earpiece on um, the the this the stylistic change of play that we saw from Kilkenny this year was relatively significant, it seems. So is this team on a on a, an evolutionary journey now? And should we expect them to address the puck out issue, given that they do seem to have addressed the style where they're at least thinking about being different from the original team that you were part of? It looked like they were trying some short puck outs that, you know, to, to some degree of success uh, some issues where they were playing into um, difficulties particularly in that first half but yeah. at least they're looking for pockets of space and players in space as opposed to just Laurie and Ball down the whole game on Twin Towers in the full forward line Yeah just on the short puck as well Kikini went short 10 times and they never looked comfortable with the 10 times and it was just that's one thing I think Owen's the best goalie of all time and always will be that's just my own view on it Um his puck outs though were just that foot a yard maybe above the head of Mikey Butler or Tommy Wells. They just or they were at knee height, and then that creates used panic. I actually thought we the Kenny could have been done for hitting the ball inside the twenty one a few times that he was, they were under hit and and the player was inside. So it's uh, there was that kind of panic then that Jesus you could get hit when you take that extra couple of touches that someone from Limerick is going to come in and absolutely nail you with that. Um, they. I think they're, they are, I, I wouldn't say at, at any point there, you can go, God, they're going to push on from that. Because like I said to you last week, in 2014, we, we were all about this heads up hurling that we had changed our style of play because Claire had done it in 13 and we were going to do it then. 
in uh, 14 we were going to start picking out players and so on and uh, it never really materialised uh, at all maybe I don't know for, for whatever reason they'd have to kind of stick at it but there'd have to be the first thing has to be is that is the same management team going back in place uh, again Connor Phelan's in there he's the head coach he's been there now two years but but having said that last year he would have been on you know with COVID he wouldn't have had a massive amount of game time with the lads out in the pitch as well so I would imagine Connor would love to yeah take this on another level there as as coach and try and develop this and it's about keeping on to the players and and the great thing is the very promising thing about Kenny is the fact that that whole team I can imagine the starting team will be staying on next year so then they're able to have a bit more cohesion with the with the players that they have and that they know their movement style and so on. But Brian looked back in that game, could look back in it 10 times, he'll pick out little things there of people that just didn't match up to us. You know, I, I, I can, like again, like I said to you a few weeks ago, that PJ Ryan 2010, he just felt his puckouts weren't going over the half-back line. So that was PJ gone, that was him out the gap. And uh, you had Chaff Fitzpatrick in that 2010 as well, got held up uh, at midfield, physically wasn't big enough for it. And in Brian's head, that was him gone he as I said before he, he never says it but in the off season he'll know the different areas there that he needs to improve he went for myself because I had longer pocket than PJ uh you know Michael Fenney was a, a physically bigger and stronger man than the likes of Chas so that was kind of Chas the right on uh, was on the wall there for himself as well and uh yeah he, he'll find different areas there that he probably feels if he stays on again you don't know I, th- I think it's a his stock is pretty high at the moment from a lot a lot of quarters. The fact that he got them back to a final, that it was such a competitive final, that I suppose it's Limerick that won, that it, are regarded as one of the, the, the great teams now, that maybe it might be a time that he might feel that he's moving on. And uh, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to know. I'd say that's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, I'd say, battle in his head more than any other year, I'd say, just whether he does stay or whether he heads on. Because you think deep down he might want to leave it on a high, which this kind of is? It is, I know, like it is. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I kind of, you see articles everywhere, they're kind of, they died with their boots on, died with their boots on, and you're kind of, okay, yeah, that, no, and they did, they, they fought to the bitter end. You're kind of going, that's still not where we're at, like, as in, there's still moments there where you're kind of leaving Gerard Hegarty have the freedom of the whole park, like, there's still areas there where you're kind of thinking, how the hell did this, how is this allowed to happen? Like, where was the, where was the control of that half battle? Where were the switches when they were scoring one thirteen from play? Like, what was happening there? Like, and it obviously made the move uh, at half time, bringing on Wally, but it just still showed that they were a small bit slow um, in in their changes and in the kind of movements, in even in how they set up on the day. Again, like we said on on puckouts, I just don't think it's there yet, or the, at that level of attention, it has gone to that point yet. But. Um, it could be a good time for him. But look, that's all up in his own head. He, yeah. Nobody knows. I, I heard f- quite recently from a reliable source, he had mentioned to someone that he was going at the end of 2021 and, yeah, stayed on in 2022. So that, uh, yeah, he, he could decide. He could look at it and kind of go, well, TJ's is still there. The whole team is still there. There still is a, there still is a chance there to get back to that stage. Um, I just, uh, I, I think... Yes, dying with the boots on it is grand and brilliant and all that kind of stuff. But Kenny, are, it's not easy next year when you have Liam Cal coming in. Just say you've water from the whole management team. You've Pat Ryan down below at Cork. You've Henry in his second year. Uh, you know, even Dara Egan in, in his second year down below. A new manager in Dublin. It's going to be next year. It's going to be a fiery championship. But everyone is back up, gunning. And then you have the likes of Limerick there. I thought it was. Uh, 
fairly ominous there when you hear John Kiley inter- is interviewing goes we're going to enjoy the next few months and then be ready to go in January yeah. you know, Jesus man, <laughs> 20 minutes after and all that he was at uh, it he was yeah the spit season probably helps the team oh, going totally. for consecutive years actually. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, 100%. Spit season is amazing. Just from, from from a personal point of view, it's amazing to be finished up and then know I can sit back, review kind of management teams, review looking at players, club championship, just to be able to have that break, complete break, spend some time with the family. I think for an inter-county manager, it's, a, it's an extremely attractive job at the moment, just from the amount of that you're able to give absolutely your whole life to it for eight months and then be able to enjoy some life and and then obviously you're still doing your job and the and the off season is still fairly chaotic but it's not it's at a, at a more controlled pace it's yeah. lovely david great stuff fascinating thanks a million for joining us cheers thanks sir it's uh, david Herity. always great to have him on a brilliant perspective from um, somebody who knows the inside of that dressing room and is obviously involved in the intercounty game at the moment as well 17 minutes past nine a reminder otbam is live every morning in association with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you across the day. OTB Gold is looking back on the Wexford team in 1956. Our dad cast is at three. Packy Bonner's career retrospective is at four. And Ruby Walsh's career retrospective is OTB Gold at six. You can follow us across our social channels. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and um, you can uh, download the OTB Sports app for the latest on our podcasts. We're back after the break with the former Leinster and Connacht player Mike McCarthy for a special forwards breakdown of Ireland's brilliant tour win in New Zealand. First, here's Matt Williams paying tribute to the job that Andy Farrell has done as head coach. Farrell took over after that World Cup and was a disciple of Joe Schmidt and tried to clone what Joe had done. And Joe's a great coach. I'm not trying to talk Joe down. I'm just trying to say what I see. And for the next 12 months, Ireland didn't progress. And Farrell was not showing, in my opinion, the leadership qualities and the the strategic qualities that a head coach, a successful head coach in national level needs to go with the talent at his disposal. He had a talented team. In that summer, he changed and they adopted a, a ground-up philosophy and that was based on how Leinster were playing and he changed his selection policy to have Leinster players in it and his structure that Keith has spoken about so correctly was basically not the same but almost a Leinster structure that empowered decision-makers within that structure to make good decisions, including the forwards taking the ball forward. How often we seen for our Irish forwards taking forward and just tipping inside or outside, leading to a break? They can make those decisions. And that has struck a chord with the players. And the players believe in the system, they believe in the coach, and that started in November 21 and extended right through. And apart from an hour against France and the first test in Auckland, the system of Farrell's put in place has grown and has been very, very effective. It's not going to, there's no guarantees every week in rugby you're going to win and there's no guarantees that this great performance is going to deliver a great performance in the World Cup. That's not how rugby works. But Farrell has grown and shown that he can lead. He's got a great plan. He's hired great people around him like Paul and Paul has done a phenomenal job. And that has has been part uh, handed off onto the players, who is also empowered after he's educated and aligned them. And this is the, the creation of what can occur. Now, if we look back at history, <clears throat> the last trip to do this was the Wallabies in 1986. It's my generation of players. Two of my club mates were in that team, Steve Tymon and Brett Patworth. They then didn't evolve, went out the next year in the World Cup, were completely up themselves, didn't believe didn't think they had to change and they got bundled out in one of the greatest games of all time by France in the semi-finals. Mm. So the evolution and the change that Woody spoke about to me 
that's crucial. I've heard Muppets start telling me, oh, they peaked a year too early. I've never heard such rubbish in my life. I know it's just garbage. Like, we're not an Olympic sport. We don't try and peak every four years. It just doesn't happen. That's not how it works. But this Irish team is in a great place. If- OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. This summer, we're bringing you double Koi gig. I thought that that was going to be a much tighter game. I cannot tell you the, like, audible gasps that there were in the press box yesterday. They looked as stunned as the team on the pitch did. I thought that they were stronger than that. I thought that they were tactically more aware than that. For the best insight and analysis from this summer's Euros, subscribe to the Koi gig pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Mike McCarthy, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, gents. Good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, that wasn't bad at the weekend, was it? Wow. Yeah, it was It was amazing, wasn't it? You know, to back up that second test performance was incredible. And, you know, what I loved about it was just that, you know, the guys weren't happy having just you know, won the second test, creating history. They went on They went on during the week. They obviously didn't over-celebrate. They went out and attacked it. And, uh, you know, it was it was just incredible. And it was laid upon a bedrock of kind of, you know, aggression, set-piece foundation. Great to see us scoring tries from from the mall, but also multi-phase as well. Um, you know, we were disciplined, we were physical, we were aggressive, um, real nastiness. We had that little dip after half time where we started to kind of go a bit high in the tackle, uh, slip off a few tackles, but, you know, that mindset to to stay in the game and especially when it got back to within three points to go on and finish the game out. Um, yeah, just truly incredible and lovely to see all the scenes of the guys getting back to the... Um, getting back to the airport, being greeted by their families and their kids. And, uh, you know, certainly special memories for the supporters, special memories for the players and coaches. And, um, yeah, just truly incredible, wasn't it? And great to see your slogan on a flag in the stands as well uh, the morning oh, of the game. Yeah. Brody Retallick is a poor man's Devon Toner. I was like, yeah. Mike McCarthy has that phrase tattooed somewhere on his body, I presume. You, yeah, I, I actually I actually made that flag. So uh, yeah. you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many people sent me that link. It was crazy. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. And, you know, another highlight for me was... Um, Bundy Key stealing a bit of chicken out of the box but um, um, yeah fantastic I think you might get cited for that but um, no all good <laughs> oh, it looked like they were having a good night anyway and well deserved um, we, we we want to get your view on the, the second rows like um, Ritalik and Whitelock won a World Cup and were generally considered to be the greatest second row partnership since the South African great second row partnership of uh, Bakis and uh, Victor Matfield and you can see why, like, um, you know, they've, they've put together an incredible body of work, but granted, we didn't see them, their, their full peak of their powers for a full 80 minutes uh, over the three tests. But they were there for a large portion of the game. And James Ryan looked like he was back to his very best against them. Yeah, exactly. And look, you know, there's no more kind of test experience and quality than that New Zealand partnership in the second row but yet you know you have to be honest they they were they were they were completely outplayed um now that comes down partly to you know New Zealand was so used to New Zealand being this efficient machine and everyone being a cog in the wheel and doing their job effectively and I suppose you know the New Zealand looked like it's been spoken about a team that you know they're they're, they're not playing the way they have played it's probably not the same all blacks that we've we've seen before but 
they, they just weren't playing with any momentum and, uh, you know, probably a lack of urgency. Um, and, you know, just looked like they weren't all on the same page as we're used to seeing them. So, yeah, the, the, the Irish guys, um, James Ryan and, and Ty Byrne were absolutely incredible. Um, you know, certainly, you know, Ty Byrne, he's not, he's not the biggest for the second row. And, you know, for me going forward, if, if, if we were playing at, you know, a France or a, uh, in England or South Africa in the future, I'd probably um, put Henderson in the second row and accommodate Tyburn in, in the back row somewhere. But I mean, for this game, that second row pair- pairing partnership was phenomenal. You know, they're mobile, their work rate's absolutely incredible. Uh, Tyburn over the ball, what did he have? Three turnovers. Um, and the other thing I love about it is with this pack is is that you've got five forwards, the two second rows in the back row. All of them are efficient line-out jumpers. You know, we've seen before, you know, as to use as an example, um, you know, CJ Standers, you know, was a big lump, powerful, um, but he, he was a lot harder to lift and get up in the line-out. Now you've got five forwards who are agile, dynamic. You can throw them up really quickly, dynamically, and they're causing absolute havoc in the second row in terms of stealing ball, disrupting New Zealand ball. And we know how efficient New Zealand have been off that first phase attack and, you know, winning quick line-out, getting to the line-out quickly, getting the ball thrown in. And, you know, Ireland were just really efficient, getting to the mark early, being set, and then being able to kind of adjust, adjust and move and getting pods in the air. Um, so, yeah, really, really brilliant stuff. Um Keir Treadwell's got a lot of pop after this tour as well. Essentially, has come from nowhere really to be now all of a sudden totally acceptable as our third lock off the bench if we need him. Yeah, he's had a fantastic tour and his stock's certainly gone up massively. Um, you know, after the disappointment of starting the first kind of test and, and a Maori, Maori test with two losses, kind of shows the mindset and the belief and where that kind of mindset's come um from years gone by in terms of guys didn't panic they stayed strong they they believed and great great work by the coaches uh, to go on because that would have been a dark place at that first kind of week 10 days of the tour with the two losses not getting that momentum not getting off to a good start but you know Farrell spoke about I think after that first Maori game some some guys will play themselves out the squad sometimes will go on to have a, a great future with Ireland and Kieran Treadwell for someone who I think he's third choice at Ulster He's come, he, he's taken his opportunity, he's taken his chance. He's, you know, he's a big lump, but he's mobile. Um, great at set piece, um, great for, for scrummaging um, at that tight head position, but he's, he's mobile, he's good, he's easy to get up in the line out. Um, you know, his, his calling of line outs, which I don't think he does too much for Ulster, um, you know, calling the line outs there was great to see and he, he featured in every game. What I love about him as well is his work rate and he he's, he's willing to put his hands up and um, he goes looking for the ball. He carries hard. He pumps the legs, um, and yeah, he's got a great work rate, and he carry, carries really well. Um, can I ask you? We, we we suggested that maybe you might take a look at picking like a joint pack between Ireland and New Zealand, um, and uh, you know to just get a sense of where we are versus New Zealand at the moment. I feel like we're we're building a, a rod for our own back with the next four minutes oh, of radio that we're about no. to make. Give me your combined one to eight from that uh, Ireland versus New Zealand three test series. Yeah, so look, to be honest here, no surprises. I think uh, you're looking for, you know, a few changes and, you know, I don't want to just pay it lip service, but genuinely that that pack that finished is what I would pick as a combined pack after the, you know, certainly after the last two tests. The only change I probably have 
not not a change is I'd have Kalen Doris starting at at eight. He was absolutely incredible for the for the whole series. But you know, for the All Blacks, it felt like he was he was fighting a bit of a lone battle. But Ardi Sevilla, um, he was incredible all night. Um, you know, I think fifty seven meters. He had he had from nineteen carries, five defenders beaten, three offloads, nine tackles. He was part of that um, resurgence after half time when he. When he scored, when he wriggled over, um, you know, shortly followed by another try by the All Blacks after. So, you know, for me, I'd go with the same pack that that started the game, and you know, the only the only it wouldn't be a change, but I'd have Ardi Severe alongside Kalen Doris, who who was absolutely phenomenal. But you know, the foundation Ireland gave um, the team from the first minute. You know that we talk about mindset. You know that that first try by Josh van der Fleer, you know, not taking the three points, kicking to the corner, getting that mall going, getting it, you know, that length, that dynamism, that go forward, low body positions, fighting at the front. And that really set the tone. We started so well in all three tests, scoring very early. Um, and yeah, that pack, that that front row, um, you know, potentially a bit of work to do to do in the scrum going forward. But in terms of the physicality and, the, you know, the line out, the mall, New Zealand just couldn't contain the Irish pack and, you um, yeah, it was brilliant. Great, great, great stuff. So neither Whitelock or Italic come into your thinking? Well, based on the based on those last two games, I know they're amazing players, but I suppose that shows the kind of the standards um, Ireland have set in these these last two games and, and how well they've played. I mean, you know, can you say you'd, you'd start them after that performance? Uh, you know, I certainly couldn't. Um, look, I know the quality and the experience and the number of caps they've got, but... You know, the, those two lads were absolutely phenomenal in terms of being a nuisance at the breakdown, t- turning the ball over. Ty Byrne, three turnovers at the breakdown, a line-out steal, 18 tackles. Um, you know, you couldn't ask for a, a better performance. And then looking forward to further down the line, you know, you've got Ian Henderson to come back, Kieran Treadwell's uh, emergence after, I suppose, Quinn Ruse moved on and, um, Bun- uh, not Bundy Key, uh, Alton Delans moved to France. Um you know, we're in a really good place. Um, front row were brilliant and the back row, Josh van der Fleer, you know, all-round display. I think he's made 62 tackles and one miss over the three test matches. Um, just the, 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 the fitness levels, the efficiency, the dynamism, the ability to get back up on their feet and keep offering themselves, coming onto the ball at pace. Um, Josh van der Fleer is in the running for Player of the Year, isn't he? For World Player of the Year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has to be. He's just relentless. He's just an absolute machine. The fitness levels, as I say, just the, you know, the the, the Richard McCaw-esque ability to kind of take knocks and bangs and um, get back on his feet, keep going. Um, you know, it's just it's just relentless. It's just in your face. The line speed he brings in defence, getting up off the line the pest, the nuisance he is at the breakdown, uh, his ball carrying, coming on, which is something actually I think Stuart Lancaster started, um, you know, when he first came to Leinster and it's rippled into all the other provinces is, you know, those three-man setups off nine or ten, you know, I think in the past we've been guilty of catching the ball static and trying to get going from there. You see now everyone's animated, everyone's got their hands up, everyone's coming on to the ball at pace, something that you've seen Saracens do over the years. And, you know, that's that's something that uh, Stuart Lancaster, I know, 
that's for Leinster, but I think it's something that's rippled into Ireland's play. That's something, you know, I remember back in 2017, Stuart Lancaster used to show clips of Saracens doing that, you know, not just standing in that three-man pod setup, standing still, catching the ball, then trying to generate momentum. You know, guys are animated. They're coming onto the ball at pace. Um, and the other thing I've loved, which has been a real theme over, you know, I think since Farrell came in and Paul O'Connell came in to do the forwards is, is the footwork. And that's, I suppose, summed up by Dan Sheehan, you know, the footwork pre-contact, not running just straight and hard at bodies. You know, we do that at times, but our ability to catch the ball, a little bit of footwork, just pre-contact and, and you know, to make it a soap tackle by the All Blacks. It's not a dominant tackle because they're not running, you know, straight. They're running hard, a little bit of footwork. They're getting it. They're getting arms tackles. They get the winning those inches, getting that momentum. And, you know, it's that ripple effect just gives Ireland that momentum, that go forward, which makes life so much easier for everyone else to play off. Do you think this uh, Ireland... Sorry, this... sorry, I'm just having a drink. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm getting too excited, aren't I? <laughs> but I, was just, I, was, I was actually just going to ask, uh, this uh, joint Ireland-New Zealand pack... How would it how would it fare against a South Africa pack or or a France pack? Yeah, so look, obviously we've been tested there against you know arguably the best best side in the world. We've created history, um, you know, created history twice, I suppose. But look at Andy Farrell, I think, has beaten the All Blacks five five times. Once with England, is it once with the Lions, three times with Ireland. So, you know, he brings that own mental toughness and mindset um, into the camp, and you know. We've shown we can beat the All Blacks and, you know, it's not a fluke. It's uh, we're generally good enough. And, you know, all this talk of peaking before the World Cup, it's, you know, hopefully that's not the case. And, you know, I don't, I don't think you can read too much into it. But, you know, the last World Cup, I think we were number one, one year out from the World Cup. And the only really real concern for me is, you know, going forward to the next World Cup is, you know, keeping a 37-year-old fly half who's been absolutely phenomenal and, um, just he's just he's incredible, isn't he? His his ability, his physicality, and the way he controls the game, keeping him fit because yeah. you know we still don't seem to have any backup plan. It's been great to see Kim Frawley come in and uh, have a great second test against the Maoris. Uh, be interesting to see what happens with Leinster going forward in terms of if he gets game time there and how he progresses. Harry Burns, it's been frustrating with all the injuries. He hasn't emerged. Um, Jack Carty out injured. Um, so it's it, it's it, it's a worry. So we've got to keep him fit. And the other kind of concern is uh, we've got great strength and depth. Great, you know, you look at Jack Cohn and a lion on the bench, Keen Healy on the bench. But you know that game, our two props played seventy minutes. That doesn't really happen in Test match rugby anymore. So you know, have we got that depth and strength that we need going into the World Cup? We need to keep Porter and Foot, Tyg Furlong fit, obviously. But you know. They can't be playing 70 minutes, no. um, you know, leading up to the World Cup. Um, no, definitely. Some... I'm sorry, sorry, I did, sorry. I, I am getting very excited, honey, because I have not answered your question, but here, I'm going to answer it now. You asked if we're playing the kind of likes of South Africa. Um, and I, I suppose, yeah, that, that they're completely different games. They're not played as, you know, as a fast pace as playing against the All Blacks. Uh, I suppose England, France, uh, South Africa, they're much bigger, bigger men. Um, so it's a real test of upfront in, in terms of, you know, your set piece. And I think there is a little bit of work to do in the scrum. Um, you know, it, it progressed as we went through the tournament. But, you know, for me, that's why I mentioned before, if, if I was making any changes specific to those games, it, it would probably be, 
you know, it's been great to see Dan Sheen come in and get game time, but, you know, probably looking at, for, for those games, Ronan Kelleher coming in to, to hook a position, Ian Henderson coming into the second row and, you know, based on whoever's playing the best, Alf Peter, Romani and um, Tyg Byrne, if you know, for that sixth position, um, they're, they're probably the only kind of changes I consider when you're coming up against those three bigger, heavier kind of uh, forward packs. All right, Mike, well, unfortunately we're out of time, but that was great. Thanks a million. Oh, you're joking us. me. I had loads more to say. What else? What else? Quick, I'll give you 10 um, seconds. No, no, that's it. To sum up, <laughs> very exciting. I've had a great time watching the three tests. I hope you have too. Hit two, three, four. Yes, two, three, four. Squeeze! <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye. Take care. That's uh, Mike McCarthy there. Do you think he did? Did, did he come up with the you're just a shit Devon Toner? Well, definitely. Mike McCarthy is the president on Uchtaron of the Devon Toner fan club. OTBA, I'm brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, I just want to read out one final tweet. Uh, surely Morris Fitzgerald just carried a baby Clifford down from the top of Cron Tuchel in his arms draped in a Kerry flag no immaculate conception required it's <laughs> uh, exactly what happened it seems to be the, the, the long line all the way back yeah, yeah. Ad, ad infinitum That's and it. so this is, the, this is the week Owen you're off now we'll, I'll see you again after the game yeah, you're going for Galway on Sunday. I'll, I'll either be uh, tasting your Scott Tenement tears or you'll be like, yes, screw you, oh, screw yeah. you all. Yeah, you've, I'm quite a humble winner, actually. No. Humble loser. Certainly. Magnanimous loser, humble winner. Okay, so some of your friends are not humble winners. No, but like, I, mean, I can only speak for myself. I'm just not associate my with bad people. people. But you are, you are rooting for a Galway win on Sunday, right? Well, uh, I just want to see, like... You hate Kerry. I don't. You absolutely I love Kerry. You just said I you want Kerry. to drink Kerry tears. I love Kerry people. It's kind of like a borderline cannibalism there. I, I, lo- I love you, Owen. I, I want you Thank to you. be happy. Just not on Sunday.